just a bloke in a bar. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Bloke in a Bar. Absolutely huge news for the first month of the NRL season. Myself, Guru, and Timmy were doing a live show tour all across the country. We're coming to Armadale, Wagga, Cairns, and Rockhampton. There'll be plenty of beer. We'll also, it's powered by Ringers Western. So we'll be doing a collab with them in regards to merchandise. Ringers Western have been fantastic enough to support us. They're obviously a huge part of the, the country community. Uh, so bloke live tour of the country, powered by Ringers Western, coming rounds one to four of the NRL season. But we're going to speak about something other than NRL today. We're going to speak about the great <laughs> Drew Mitchell. How you going, brother? Mate, I'm good. I'm actually a little bit nervous. Uh, yeah, obviously, a bit out of my out of my wheelhouse here in the you know, the, the NRL, well, the rugby league headquarters, as as, as you put it when I walked the in. The mecca, yeah, the mecca <laughs> of rugby league. Uh, as I said, it's, it's Suncorp and then it's Bloke Studios. Yeah, that's what yeah. they're saying. Not me. That's just the grapevine kind of stuff. Well, mate, I've been hearing some good things, so <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised. Now, we're not as grubby as we may come across for you players. <laughs> Did, have you felt any kind of grubbiness as you walked in or not yet? Uh, no. Well, yeah, not yet. See, the <laughs> fact that you said not yet means that there's, there's potential for it to come. But no, look, I think it's, it's nice decor in here. I feel good. The, the the, uh, the beer's nice, of course, bloke in a bar, but also it's chilled. So, mate, I'm, uh, I'm pretty happy at the moment. <laughs> mate, um, how's it been? Obviously, you've got your media work with Channel 9. And do you do some stuff with Stan as well? Yeah, yeah. So basically, it's a, um, I guess the way that it's set up, it's it's a dual contract. So mm. um, all games are live and ad-free, little plug, um, on Stan. Yeah. But then we also have a simultaneous uh, broadcast for our Saturday night games on, on Channel 9, which mm. do have commercial breaks. Yeah. So um, it's the same product that's going out to both platforms, but just, um, I guess, slightly different with the ad breaks on Channel 9. Is there any difference in you working with the Stan and the 9 in the sense of like, from a creation standpoint or not really? Uh, mate, to be honest, um, the weekend broadcast is largely done by Channel 9 and the mm. Wide Water Sports team. Yep. Um, and then the midweek stuff is largely done uh, by the, the Stan team. Mm. Um, so they're the midweek uh, shows uh, between two posts and Rugby Heaven. Um, it's not exclusive to that, but that's probably the easiest way to explain it. So, yeah. um, I mean, it's, I guess they're just sort of different types of things. The, the broadcast going into a game is, you know, it's the build up and the pregame shows and that sort of thing is a little bit different to, you know, your magazine type shows that we have through the week with Sam. I've got to let you in on one of the worst calls in history. So <laughs> probably like would have been four or five years ago, I met my wife now and we were talking about Stan. Yeah. And me being a fucking savvy businessman <laughs> was, <laughs> was like, I just don't see it working, eh? Yeah, like, right. I just don't see Stan working. Like, they're up against the big dogs Netflix and, you know, okay, they've got some decent content, but Netflix is too dominant. Uh, yeah, clearly wrong. Stan is absolutely <laughs> killing it. Yeah, they're and going what's, well. What's funny is, like, she was a consumer of Stan content, so she's, you know, she's not doesn't have that much uh, experience in business. Mm -hmm. But as a consumer, she was like pushing back against me going, no, no, I don't think you understand. Cause I didn't consume the content. I just looked at yeah, it. Right. And so she was like pushing back. Like, I don't think you understand. They have a really good range of stuff that you can't really get anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I'll, uh, the missus yeah, well, was mate, right. We, the missus was right. Yeah, she was, but they always are. <laughs> um, yeah, we just had, uh, I think it's the eighth um, year anniversary um, little uh, party just a couple of weeks ago. So that was nice. Mate, it's, as I said, it's going incredibly well. Like yeah. the the streaming, like the, the streaming war, like imagine the headaches that they'd be facing oh, every yeah. day in regards yeah. to like trying to find margin, not charging too much. Investment. Well, it's also like um, value add to subscription ad, right? Mm. So like when, you know, we've got obviously Stan Sport and they have to look at um, trying to, 
to bring on new sports. We've got the four majors in the tennis. We've got mm. rugby, and you know we've got some some motorsports. I think there's there's PFL, the um, the MMA uh, competition as well, yep. which might get a bit of a boost with Jake Paul signing on as uh, a contracted fighter for them. So, yep. but it's I think my understanding is that they need obviously subscribers, right? Subscribers mm. bring cash and brings eyeballs to the platform, and it's about what do they include onto the the platform that adds value or mm. what adds subscribers and, and i guess that's for the people above my pay grade to yeah. determine and and they've, but they've got like the double-edged sword of not only are they fighting the streaming war they don't want to eat their own mm. nine audience as well yeah. so it's like whereas like netflix is purely like we are here to disrupt old school networks yeah whereas nine are fuck, you know this crazy balance of yeah and I, I think probably they're, they're probably still trying to work out exactly where that, that balance is, right? And, mm. you know, when you look at the, the tennis, and this is just from an outsider's point of view because I'm not privy to any of these discussions or numbers, but with Stan having every single game live and, and Channel 9, I think they may have had it on 9 now or the app. Mm. Um, and obviously the big ones on, on Channel 9 and Gem. But, um, yeah, I guess it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a balancing act as to what, what platform or... or, or TV station gets exclusive rights to what coverage, so that get you know they get those eyeballs. And so, outside of your media stuff, are you doing anything else? Mate, I've, I've just started. I've, uh, I'm about four weeks into a new a new career. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I guess I'm I'm 38, going on 39, and I honestly start. I've just started to feel like I've grown up a little bit. Like, oh, mate. I'm um, yeah, and I, I I say that because you know this is my first real job. I'm working in commercial real estate mm. for a company called Burgess Rawson. Um, I've got no history in this, I've got no study in this, but um, you know, I've, I've found through conversation, I just felt like I needed a little bit more um, routine for one, but also chasing outcomes. I mean, I think you know, when you play footy for 15 odd years professionally that everything's outcome based, whether it's your individual or team collective training sessions each day, each week, the outcomes of games, it's, it can all be broken down to either being positive or being negative. And, Obviously, the positive is great, but you also learn from the negatives. And I, I just felt like I was missing those types of outcomes and chasing KPIs and learning from the losses and um, and also just being stimulated in something that I'd not been privy to before. And mm. and um, you know, it's it's you know, as you know, when you when you finish a career in sport where your your voice has a lot of weight to it. Well, mine didn't have that much weight. <laughs> I was a fucking winger. And yeah, well, I mean, yeah, right. But I mean, you know, and then I guess whenever you start something new, yeah, that you're, sure. you're the one that, um, you know, like you've, you've just got to be humbled and, yeah, and sure. you, know, you understand that you've, you start on the bottom run of the ladder. And, mm. But then it's the same tenacity and work ethic and, and application and those types of things that will give me the confidence that, yeah, I don't know necessarily the content right now, but I know how to apply myself and I can, I can learn the skill. Mm. But, you, you know, the, the, the drive and the, the passion and that type of stuff, you know, is something that I feel like I can transfer across into, into this new world. And, and when I go back to saying I feel like I've grown up, mate, like I'm, I kinda, I'm taking real joy, weirdly, because, you know, I grew up in a, a family with my old man was in the army and, you know, it was very strict and regimented and, yep. you know, chores every morning, whatever, and having to iron my own uniforms and stuff. I thought that was those days behind me. But no, no, no. no yeah, yeah, mate, I, I'm finding joy on a Sunday night just uh, no. ironing up. Yeah, you ironing are your up dad, all, bro. I know, I, know, I am. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of finding joy in that. Weirdly as well, I'm enjoying getting on the bus and a train on the way to work. No way. Um, yeah, do I you mean, podcast it up. What do you do? Read or? Uh, well, sometimes I actually catch sometimes the train, uh, the bus and train with Adam Ashley Cooper, okay. former teammate, really yep. good mate of mine. That's yep. um, 
I basically save him a seat. I'm three stops before him, and he gets on the on the bus with 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 a coffee for me. So, no way. Um, both in suits. Uh, yeah, both in suits. He started a job, um, a business development job, for a tech startup called Resolve. Little plug for you there, Swoop. Um, <laughs> a little business brokering company on the same street, in the city, the same day. No way. Yeah, and uh, and so we. We've, we're just sort of going through this little this journey um, together and our first jobs in the real world. I, I don't know uh, what, what the leagues call it, but when you have a bit of a share house in union and you say there's a number of players at play and then there's maybe a, a civilian, for lack of a better term, mm. the boys call them a muggle. So you've got the you know, uh, you've got a wi- you <laughs> yeah. wizard and you've got the powers and then yeah. you've got a muggle who's got no powers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, so obviously we're taking photos of ourselves on, on the bus and on the train now and yep. to sending it to our group chats of all the boys. And they're, they're, you know, they're like, that's real muggle life. You guys are, we're muggles now. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're enjoying that. That's yeah, uh, it's interesting, the same day. It's yeah, like, it's mate, I, honestly, I, I put up a post the other day on my LinkedIn. Adam and I are born one day apart, same year, same month. Oh. Um, I'm Wallaby 799, he's Wallaby 800. My mum's name's Karen, his mum's name's Karen, spelt the same. What? Like we've just got like all these like weird sort of synergies that, yeah, just really hard to explain. And then he's, yeah. I said, oh mate, I'm starting a job next week. And he's like, oh yeah. I, I said, on Monday, and he said, oh, whereabouts? I said, a car's <laughs> and, he, and he was happy for me, he goes, bro, fuck, he goes. <laughs> I start a job on the same day on the same street. Oh like there's just God. like yeah, there's, there's some uh, some real sort of weird um, synergies. And we, we, you know, we we grew up competing against each other. And mm. normally you don't become best mates with the yep. bloke that you're trying to get the, the same jersey, you know. Yeah. Um, but you know, I've, I was a, I was a celebrant. I was I'm the best man. To, oh, sorry, the godfather to his his eldest boy. And um, yeah, got a really That's good relationship. Crazy. Mm. Um, it's uh, it's interesting in regards to you know your what you're talking about. Hey, you've got to kind of humble yourself as a free player. Like, obviously, yeah. I make jokes being a winger or whatever, but it, it happens in like all work kind of forces. I'm not sure if it happened for you. I'm probably, I assume you probably had a bit of a better workforce. But when I started my mature age apprenticeship as an electrician and I was working in like above ground mines, coal terminals, there were guys that were like, they wanted to put it over me. They yeah. wanted to be like, you know, you might think you're a footy player, but making me do menial tasks that literally mean nothing yeah. just to see me beneath them and you've got to swallow your pride and go you know what i'm, I'm an apprentice like i've got a copy yeah yeah i mean I, th- I think um you know i mean obviously everyone has sort of different experiences with that in different um industries and things but i think there's you know it's it's one of those things as well like i i get it if someone was upset with my position now like mm. you know if, if someone came into the wallabies after me being there 15 years and they hadn't had any prior experience yeah and they got the same jersey as me yeah i'd be like oh hang on a minute what hundred percent I, I would expect them to prove themselves. So, mm. you know, hopefully, you know, I mean, obviously it's early days for me at the moment and, uh, you know, there's a lot of sort of um, information and ingestion going on and trying to absorb as much as I can. But um, hopefully over time that, um, you know, my colleagues, look, then to be fair, my colleagues have been fantastic. Like, mm. you know, everyone's gone out of their way to help me and, and to, to make me feel comfortable. I think it's probably more me feeling uncomfortable like imposter syndrome imposter syndrome yeah Yeah. and uh you know and and like i said i'll I'll keep working hard to make sure i understand the skill and learn the skill Mm. um through those those things i talked about with drive and and um application things but for sure yeah sure um and so what's a what's a day look like like what do you what is your what do you actually do for work well mate so i mean sort of like i'm sort of a sales executive in um in commercial uh properties so um, at the moment, I'm co-agent, or well, I'm about to be co-agent on four upcoming listings. Mm. Um, and all, you know, like everyone sort of says, stick to what you know. So three of those are bar slash restaurants. Um, yes. One's a nightclub. So basically, uh, yeah, just go out there and we, we, we if we can obtain a, a listing and then um, do all the, the IMs and the, the marketing and yep. 
all the all the lease agreements and all that sort of stuff, and then get out there and, and try and hustle a little bit to try and find them uh, buyers. It's effective. That's probably that in the, in, a, in layman terms. But mate, I'm I'm sitting there now. Like I I, I legitimately went from a nine to five stand slash netflix job right yeah. um, but meaning i i didn't have any routine in my day like yeah. i was like waking up and just thinking all right nothing's on just roll back over 11 yeah. o'clock oh, i should probably get out of bed you know like <laughs> yeah. but I, because i could right and yeah. um and you know and, and that's good for a period of time and i felt like you know that's nice i'd, I'd work really hard for a long period of time i can you don't I, that. you know yeah i earned that for uh, for a while but then having too much time off can also be really bad like yeah. mental health and 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 you know and even just like creativity and and you know just getting tasks done like mm. i'd i'd have some of the easiest tasks to do like five things to do in the day and i would like you know like as small as i like, putting the bins out and i'll be like oh i'll do it tomorrow <laughs> like you know like just because you're not busy like yeah, they say sure. if you if you want something done give it to a busy person right because you know they're yeah. always they're already up and and sure. being productive i wasn't that guy yeah. um and uh yeah so i just i i guess the normal day for me was just really quite chilled and mm. and kind of just just go with whatever I was feeling like at the time. Um, yeah, like which I said, which was which is great for a period. But um, but now I'm now I've got some structure and I, I'm enjoying it. Um, mm. You know, coming from from footy, um, everything's structured. Like yeah. you know where to be, you know what to eat, you know you know what to wear. Mm. Like and how to think even. It's, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, sometimes, yeah, exactly. And and you know, even like I find now, like which is really bad to say, I guess. But you know, like I guess when you're playing footy, they basically put you in a position where you can be as selfish as possible, right? Yeah. So you can prepare as well as possible, you can recover and you can go out there and, and execute your game as well as possible. And mm. that means that you don't even have to think for yourself sometimes. Like, mm. you know, going through the airport, because we do a lot of international travel in rugby, going through the airport, I just had to look up and follow people who dress like me, yeah. right? And not even think about yeah. what gate, customs <laughs> yeah. or whatever. If I needed a form, someone handed me a form. Yeah. And I just, you know, like, so now like when I'm traveling or like just the other day with my with my new role, I had um, the HR lady call or email me and say, Drew, we need we need all your information around tax file number and, and superannuation and your banking <laughs> so we can pay you. And I was like, oh man, like I've had an agent, uh, you know, do this all the time. Yeah. And my agent wasn't uh, wasn't wasn't available at the time. And I just went, I tried probably for half a day, and I just I called her back. I said, hi, Angela. I said, thanks. But can you just pay me next month? <laughs> I said I just don't really know how to do all this stuff. Like I need some more time to work it yeah, out. So yeah. you know, like all those little things, I suppose. Um, whilst it's great to help you prepare for a game yeah. in those times, it makes it harder for when you when you transition for if sure. you're if you're not across just how to be an adult. I oh, know it's, it's you're absolutely right. Mm. It's uh, like it's it's it goes as far as like when you walk in to training, there's a table and you've got like tablets protein everything yeah. is lined up and you're just like boom 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 you walk straight in you sit on the bed you're strapped you're like everything yeah. like so it's almost like remember the minute. jetsons when we're growing up you get on the conveyor belt and they go through they <laughs> yeah. wash you then they clothe exactly. you and then they do like brush exactly. your teeth all that that's yeah. pretty much what it is it really is because like they want to control and and rightly so you want to win games like yeah do whatever they want to control as much as they can control mm. because then you're the best you can be for yeah. that purpose kind of thing um it's the tax file number it's always like <laughs> yeah it's like the hardest thing ever to find. You type in tax file number in yeah. your email to try and find it because it's like from six years ago. Yeah. And it's like all these like random things that have tax in it yeah. or file or yeah, number. Yeah, and you're yeah, like, yeah. what the hell? Yeah. Um, so I'm feeling you, right. Look, and I'm anything that says tax, I just delete. Oh, oh I'm mate. the quintessential head in the sand kind of guy. <laughs> um, so it takes us back to a young fella. Um, 
obviously now are you a New South Welshman or Queenslander? Because obviously you played for the Reds. Mm. But Mate, I, I've always supported the Blues um, in State of Origin. How dare you, I was, sir? I, <laughs> I was born out at Liverpool. My old man was stationed at Holsworthy uh, yep. in the army. Um, I've got uh, two older brothers and mum and dad. Mum um, and I were born in New South Wales. My two brothers were in Queensland. Mm. And my mum, oh, sorry, dad was born down in Victoria. So he kind of doesn't really matter um, mm. in terms of State of Origin. Yeah, it doesn't matter, <laughs> course, period. Yeah, yeah exactly. Fuck, fuck Victoria, <laughs> man. No, <I'm> <laughs> uh, and... Um, and yeah, and so I'd, I'd just I'd always gone for um, New South Wales and rugby league. Yep. I think once I started playing rugby at 13 up in Queensland, uh, I obviously started watching the Reds. I'd go out to the Reds games yep. and, and grew a real sort of affinity towards them and obviously then got to start playing for them as well, which was cool. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think now, like maybe it's recency bias or whatever, but like even because I finished with the Waratahs, mm. like I kind of, you know, like... I, I mean, I claim all three of the teams I played for, but, you know, I, I don't know. I just, you I find I'm probably, seem, I'm when, more. When I think of you, I think Blues jersey. Yeah. I, yeah, I think so too. Yeah. 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 Um, it's interesting how certain, like, clubs just stick with players more yeah. for some reason, whatever. I don't know what the reason is. You yeah, know? I don't know. Because, I mean, I, I played about 35 to 36 games for each of the three teams. It's about the same. Yeah. yeah 35, like, 38, 39. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, um, you know. I didn't sort of – well, the, the only team I played for for a long period was Toulon. I got like 80-odd games for Toulon. Yeah, um, yeah we don't – yeah. That's, that's just because you play a shitload of games each year. But, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, anyway, so upbringing, um, dad in the army, like I said, moved around a lot um, just because he was getting posted uh, every sort of 12 to 18 months or so, um, which, you know, people say, oh, how was that? And I was like, well, you know, I loved it because I didn't know anything different, right? And, mm. um, and sport was my vehicle to kind of make – friends and yeah. to to find my way in established circles in schools or whatever mm. I'd, I just turned up to and like sometimes more often than not we're in sort of army based type areas like mm. Puckapungil down in Victoria or Townsville or Holsworthy wherever or, or dad was at um, North Head there at Manly for a little while so you kind of sometimes in environments with other army kids um, so they kind of they understand the whole yeah. in and out kind of um, nature of, of, of the I guess the the family life, mm. um, but sport was definitely my my way of finding my feet within mm. those circles, and and sport for me early was rugby league. Yeah, really. Yeah. Okay, it's it's interesting how I always found sport as like a way to earn respect quickly. Mm. Like, you know, it takes a while to get to know someone's personality. But yeah. as a young, I can only speak for boys, obviously I'm a boy. Yeah, young boys, if you're good at sport, you immediately get yeah the general. Uh, consensus that you're a, he's all right he's all right we'll give him a go at we'll least give him a go yeah, exactly yeah. whereas if you come out and play like a bastard yeah it's like it's almost a knock against your name yeah and you're it's still like, eaten by yourself at which is like bizarre but yeah. you're right it is a really good way to get yeah. you into new groups of people yeah and i think um i think moving forward in you know my life like I, I went to sort of six different primary schools and wow. I went to the one secondary school when dad was six. up in, yeah. It's essentially one a year. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, and then dad went up to, like we went up to Queensland, he was based at Onogra um, and he kind of moved within roles within the same army base for a while, which allowed me to go to the one secondary school, which was St. Pat's up at Shawncliffe. Yep. Um, but after two years, I remember, you know, <coughs> I don't mind saying at 14, I'd go into my mum and dad crying at night, just like yeah. not wanting to go back. Yeah, wow. Because I was so familiar with change and I just felt like, no, nah, like I just, I don't know. I just felt this uneasiness. Not because I wasn't enjoying school, mm. but I just felt like I needed some change. Yeah, and wow. I'm really grateful that 
obviously they didn't listen to a four, like a, a crying <laughs> 14 year old um that they knew better and they you know they obviously um just kind of got me through that period and then you know i stayed there and i've got some of those i've still got some of those mates and my closest mates from that time as mm. well um and and yeah and love my time at some parts that's really interesting that you went the opposite way you know like a lot of kids I guess when you hear about moving around all the time, mm. it almost affects them where they're constantly fighting that move, whereas you almost embraced it and, and enjoyed it. Yeah, well, it I think, degree. you know, I think then if you look at my professional career, it's almost mirrored that, right? Mm. Like I had four years at the Reds, three at the Force, four at the Tars, mm. then again, one change, went to Toulon. Yeah. Um, and these were, luckily enough, changes that I wanted, um, not because I was forced out, you know? Yeah, like yeah. I still had an option to stay at each one of those teams when I was, when I was looking at the change. Um, but yeah, I just, I know change to me is comfortable. Um, mm. Change to me is familiar. And I, um, yeah, and so I, I back myself in those situations. And, and I guess, you know, in terms of integrating into the social part of it as well, I just, I'd be quite, I'd be pretty quiet initially. Mm. And I'd, I'd just observe a lot. And after observing enough, I'd work out where I fit in. And then, yep. I'd, you know, people would start to get to know me a bit more. And so you said you played league growing up. Yeah. Who was your team? Mate, I, well, I started as a real young fella for Townsville Centrals. Yeah. Gordy Tallis, I think, is from up there. The great um, Gordy Tallis. Mate, barefoot and bindi, bindies oh, all, over the, bindies. all over the fields, yeah. Uh, and then I had, from there, went down to Victoria. So we had three years of AFL, but then came up to Manly and I was Belrose Eagle. No way. Yeah. Who was your NRL team? Uh, growing up, it was always Penrith. Really? Yeah, Penrith, because I think they were the first team from when I could remember that they won that year. Okay. 91, was it? Yeah. Okay. So I was, yeah, seven. So that's probably about right. Um, the first one that I could properly remember. Would have that been Freddie? Roycey Simmons. No. And, yeah, Freddie. Oh, Freddie, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'd, Freddie growing up, his left foot, like, oh, you know, like no. all that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was sort of my team growing up. I'm less on them now. Really? Yeah. Because you could claim non-bandwagon. Yeah, but I, I've, I, I don't know, I just... I've, I found it hard. Really? Yeah. Who, who, that being had... said, I sat there at the grand final last year with a Penrith jersey on. Okay. Um, <laughs> but but I'm, I'm also, I've, I've kind of, I've jumped on the roosters more from when I was playing at the Waratahs because oh, we shared yeah. facilities. Yeah. So you and know I just got to a lot, I just got to know a lot more of those boys and, yeah. you know, the cafe there at the Sydney Football Stadium. We just, I oh know we got to, we got to yeah. know a lot of them and, and just sort of be around and whatever. And then I've, I'm living in the East as well. So it kind of just a bit, made a bit more sense. Yeah. Than, than jumping on a team that I just, that was my first memory. Um, <laughs> I don't know, bro. Yeah, I seem I know, to be a Western Sydney boy, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I fly over it every now and then. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah. So, yeah, then Belrose Eagles went up to Queensland. I was Brothers Holy Spirit, but then jumped across to Aspley Devils was my last team. Yeah. And um, what made you move to Union? Was it because of university? Mate, no, so, no, it was, it was just a secondary school. So, you, um, year eight. At 13, I was playing both. Like I'd play league on a yep. Friday night, union on Saturdays, um, and did all that and through until 17. Uh, at school, played in one league competition, Confraternity Shield. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I played in, yeah. I played that uh, at St. Brennan's in Yapoon. Um, yeah, they're year. the gun sites. Yeah, in 2001. I think they maybe had Brett Seymour my year. No way, because so you're 1984, I'm 90, so I would have been three years. So that's, that's the first thing that I played and got. Yeah, right. Whatever, yeah. yeah, yeah. And Yapoon. yeah, and, and to be fair, that was where I almost made a decision to go to league because I had an approach from the Bulldogs at the time mm. um, for like a Jersey flag or something uh, yep. type um, situation. And I also had Queensland Reds. And then uh, I just remembered someone say, Drew, with 
I mean, obviously, with respect to all your <laughs> all your listeners and viewers, because I know that I'm I'm the fish out of water here. But <laughs> they would say um, they said, Drew, with rugby league, you can play in Townsville and Newcastle. With rugby union, you can play in Paris and London. That's true. Uh, you know what? That um, that was what appealed to me at the yeah. time. So it's just um, I, I think most leagues fans will admit that. You yeah, know? like it is. It's the one thing. Even the most diehard league fan has to admit, yeah. is the world part of rugby. Yeah, union. and I think you know, I think, and that's the one thing that the union guys have to admit is that domestically we're nowhere near in the competitive level in terms of like engagement and you know, I mean, league's got sixteen teams or well, how many teams now? The Dolphins seventeen, 17 yeah. yeah. Um, and we've got five here in Australia. Mm. Um, you know, and, and we're still trying to work out what our local product is because we've obviously we've got Super Rugby Pacific now mm. um, with the, the Kiwi teams plus uh, Fiji and, and Moana Pacifica but you know we've, we've changed from having Argentina, Japan, South Africa like yeah. we're still trying to work out that I guess domestic level uh, competition what's best for us to be able to engage um, an audience you know and we're excuse me whereas internationally that's where our game thrives oh, mate. Um, yeah. which I, I mean with respect I'd argue that it's almost the opposite right with like um, the NRL and state of origin domestically is like couldn't be better. Yeah. But then you look at the the World Cup. It's it's growing absolutely. It's but growing. It's There's no not, not yeah. Great. But it's it's just not on that yeah. on the, the scale of, of the Rugby World Cup. But well, it's kind of the opposites, you know. A a good union international game is some of the best sport you can watch. I reckon. Yeah. I mean. Like, uh, obviously, you know, I, I grew up watching league. I love league. I still watch a lot of league each week, each and every weekend. Um, but I also have, you know, a really strong love for, for rugby. And, yeah. and I, I sometimes get drawn into the whole league versus union. And I just don't know why it has to be one versus the other. Like, I don't know why we can't just coexist. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think we should celebrate the differences of the game rather than try to make them both the same and, mm. and argue that one's better because they're slightly better at one thing than the other. Like, I... You know, like ours is a little bit different in terms of the, there's a contest every every tackle, like every breakdown, mm. a line out, a scrum, like everything's a genuine contest. And, yep. and I understand at the moment, um, I think rugby here in these parts of the world are str struggle because of the rugby league um, mindset that we have growing up. Mm. And I say that because, you know, you watch the NRL and the state of origin and the hits that they put on and, yeah. you know, and the shoulders and, and where it hits on, you know, like we grow, we love that, right? Yeah. We're conditioned to that down here. Yeah. Whereas world rugby up in the North, they're not as conditioned to rugby league, right? Yeah. You know, the Frenchies and the Irish, the, the ones that are like running the world rugby, mm. they don't see all that. They're not conditioned with it from, you know, from a young age. So yeah. they're like, to them, that's like, that's brutal. Yeah. And so then obviously when they're making these determinations around the law variations that we've got, they would just go, no, like we're talking about below waist height now. Like, like, come on. Like that's, you know, I get that we've got to try and um, protect the player, but we've got to protect the game. And also there's got to be some type of like, like if you're signing up to play a contact sport, you understand you're going to have to, Mate, you're going to get some contact at some point. I'm with you. And yeah. I, like, and that's coming, you're a player. Mm. I'm a player. Yeah. Like, well, you've both, but you've been concussed. Yeah, yeah. I've been concussed. Yeah. So if there's, if there's people that, should be arguing, oh, no, no, we need to protect the players. It would be the people yeah. that have actually suffered from yeah. less measures. But I, I agree with you that we should do everything we can within our power to protect the players. But there has to come a line where we yeah. go, you are accepting some responsibility yeah. by playing this it's, sport. It's like, 
Yeah, it's like boxers come out and go, well, I've got concussion. Like, well, kind of, mate, you, it kind of comes with the territory. Yeah. Not that I'm saying that they're, they're one and the same, but I mean, I think, you know, there's, there's going to be rugby accidents and there's mm. going to be times, I think even worse, even more so when you put your head down and trying to tuck around the legs and you get a knee or you get the a boot. The side of players a, today. And the hips as well. Like, oh. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, I don't think it's a silver bullet they're looking for. But anyway, going back to the, the rugby league union thing, I think that, yeah, largely that a lot of our viewers here and, and people and fans and everyone are conditioned to rugby league quite a lot because we grow up with it and we see those big hits and it's celebrated, right? Mm. Like everything on Channel 9 for the State of Origin, it's a huge hit and it's yeah. bang and it's like Hollywood type, you know, um, celebrated type hits, right? Yeah. And then, then you go and watch rugby and that's a yellow card or that's a red card or, mm. and you're like, oh man, seriously? Or yeah. there's TMOs all the time slowing the game down. So I understand why it can be frustrating, but I think it's more frustrating for fans down here in, in Australia and New Zealand because we have those, that we're conditioned that way. Yeah. Whereas I, like there's people up in the North aren't complaining about it, man. Yeah, like, really. The, the French, and that's why, that's a scary thing for for rugby fans and supporters down here is because like- They don't get they it. They don't care. Yeah, like, yeah. They're just like, well, no, they're like, we're protecting the game because they don't want future class actions and lawsuits. Mm. They're protecting the player and they're not getting too many grumblings from, from too many quarters like they would be down yep. here. So. It's, uh it's, it's a really, really good point because I, you know, I've spoken to Maddie a bit about it, my missus as well. Having played soccer my whole life, mm. I said, I think a lot of rugby league fans don't realise how desensitised we've become to such a brutal sport. Yeah. You know, some would argue, I don't think so, I think MMA and boxing is still the toughest sport yeah, in the world. Yeah. But some would argue it's just as physical as that. And we yeah. do it every single week. And so you're totally right, like as Australian, as a culture, it's normal for, oh yeah, go play rugby league. Like it's just a normal thing. Whereas yeah. if I said, oh, go do some MMA, someone would go, whoa, whoa yeah, mate, yeah, like, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And yet the the amount of contact you get in a league game and even a union yeah. game too is equal. Like we play every single week, not yeah. two times a year. I know, I'm not saying it's as tough as MMA. No, or no, any, no, no, no. Uh, but yeah. there is a, it's comparable. It's yeah. comparable. Yeah, I mean like right from, from when you first start at school, you're playing bull rush in the, in the, yeah. on the back oval and you're whacking each other. Yeah, like, 100%. Yeah, like you're conditioned to it right from the start. So, yeah, yeah I mean, I think that's probably one thing that we're, we're probably up against at the moment down mm -hmm. here in, in, because we're governed by world rugby law variations um, and they're, they're going really hard around the tackle at the moment. Yeah. That it's making us, it's making it difficult for us to engage, you know, the sort of the, the, the sporting fan, not the, the diehard rugby fan, yeah. but the sporting fan, which we need to engage because the next 10 years for us is a great opportunity. We've got, mm -hmm. The World Cup this year in France, we've got the yeah. British and Irish Lions coming, which mm. is once every 12 years in 2025, hosting the World Cup in 27 <sighs> men's and then the 29 Women's World Cup here in Australia. Yeah. So like, you know, there's a great opportunity for us mm. um, to engage, but also, you know, for funding and everything else that can come with hosting all those events. But mm. there's also, we've got to find a way to cut through the people's hesitation or, or, or or frustration, yeah, probably more to the point. And uh, you know, how how do you engage that young audience that doesn't really appreciate the history of the game and the, the deeper side of things when you're competing with things like the UFC, where yeah. you're seeing knockouts every week? Yeah, it's like excitement. It's almost it's almost like it's designed for social media. These yeah. like thirty second clips of the craziest shit you've ever seen, and every sport has to compete with that. Like. Yeah, mate, it's hard, right? Because also access is huge now, right? Yeah. Like everyone's got access to their favourite players, whether it's social media mm. or, you know, like I remember when I was growing up, like the Freddie Fittler and those guys, the only bit you saw was them on a 
on the weekend playing yeah. or the odd interview on, on um, the news yeah. throughout the week, right? Now we're getting to know what, what they eat, yep. what car they drive, what they do on the weekend, like what, you know, like everything, basically everything they want to give us in terms of their life. Yeah. We've got access to it. We've mm. also got direct contact if they want to read their DMs or, or, or tweets and things like that. So um, it's, you know, it, it's a difficult time now because we're all in the same market trying to get to the same mm-hmm group of fans mm. and how do you cut through that right yeah. and it's, it's you know when you look at rugby union we've got five teams in all of australia mm. one in new south wales and you know ever like queensland act melbourne and and perth mm. we can't touch the flesh we can't press the flesh like the six 17 nrl teams or the 18 afl teams like like they can because they've got they've just got more more players right yeah. more capacity to go out to junior and regional and and rural uh teams mm. and you know i've said almost nauseam to a number of people within rugby that I, I, I think the, the modern day signature on a footy, remember when you were growing up and a, a, like an old player came to you, like I remember Tony Carroll came to, Tanza. to Holy Spirit, right? Yep. And I remember like going that little drill where you go around the end and you one-on-one, you yeah, tried, yeah. tried tackling around <laughs> his legs and like, of course he just sort of fell over and it made me feel really good, right? <laughs> but he, he signed my ball and I was just mm. always growing up. I just, I've always remembered that, right? Yeah. But I think the modern day, um, the modern day, signature on your footy is, is a selfie right mm. because every kid's got a selfie they've got a device right yeah. and if and so I, i've said a number of times like if, if the players can't get to regional or rural areas because of travel and preparation and recovery requirements and things get 10 of your best players in a room and they do 100 one minute videos like yeah it takes you know not under two hours every done right mm. you've got your backdrop and then you just go okay you've got 100 lists of kids names yeah hey jessica it's Michael Hooper here, blah, blah, blah. You know, great that you're a Waratah supporter and but whatever it is, right? Yep. Send it out, right? <clears throat> they receive that. They show all their friends at school. Their friends at school go, oh, I want one of those. So they go to that training camp the next time or the, yep. you know, the festival the next time. Their friends or their family or their grandparents put it on Facebook. All of a sudden, we're getting this awareness and this interaction engagement mm. that we wouldn't have had otherwise. And it took two hours for 10 players each yep. just to get out and – you know, 100, 100, like that's a thousand videos going out, and then the engagement you can get off all those. Like, yeah. that to me is like super simple. Yeah. And imagine getting a, like a personalized video when you're eight. Oh, well, from one of the big stars, from Troll Mitt, from, you know, all these guys, right? Like, well, my, so for Chrissy, went and saw my nephews, and one of their favorite players was uh, Jaden Campbell, and mm-hmm. one was Brian Toa. Yeah. And I messaged the boys and asked them, hey, could you send yeah. through a video? And they were like literally in tears. Yeah. They're, they're, they're like both my nephews in tears, they were that and happy. It, that, that becomes a core cool memory as well, mm. right? Like, and they'd be their, their favorite players moving forward, but also like how many, how many of their friends would they have told about that? Oh, yeah. And then, and even more. And then all of a sudden like that, the impact of that video is far greater. Yeah. So that's where I think like that we could be better in terms of when I say we, rugby could be better. Yeah. Yeah, we have limited numbers, but we've just got to be a little smarter in terms of how we engage. Mm. And that's, that's not a costly, like it's not a costly exercise. That. Yeah. Like sitting in there and on, literally on selfie yeah. mode. And like right? you're in your with your mates, so you're having fun anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're with the boys, like you got to get through a hundred, you yeah. stop every now and then, talk shit, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, anyway, so I, I think there's there's ways that we can cut through it. And yeah. I think there's there's definitely like a need for it because, um, you know, it's a competitive market here, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, when there's things that aren't helping with TMO interact, like interjections and, and the tackle height and the amount of TMO, and like all these things that have, just the frustrate like the frustration that's coming out on social media if you if yeah. you're across all that narrative then there are other ways that we can kind of lift the spirits i suppose for sure yeah. for sh- absolutely and i and uh speaking of parents 
one advantage you can have is the fact that you are taking more measures in regards to the safety. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's like, even though from a consumer's point of view of watching it, it's like, are you serious? He just got sent 10 yeah. out or whatever. Yeah. But from a getting young kids into the game, you can use it as advantage. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. I mean, again, we just got to like spin the narrative around on it. But also like, I mean, it's great that we've been sort of leaders in that space to, to protect the player. Mm. But I still think we need to make sure that's not at the, the cost of the game. Oh, mate, I'm with you 100%. Yeah. Um, so, so basically, you decided to go to the Reds due to the, the international side of things. Yes. And you rock up, is it the 2003 leading into 2004? Yeah, I think so. So you would have done the 2003 pre-season, pre-season yeah. and then you made your debut 2004? Yeah. Was it something, because was that the first year out of school for you? No, I had one year in between. Um, where I was at the Reds College, played first grade for UQ. Um, What'd you study at uni? Nothing. No, I just played there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, when I was at the Reds College, they tried getting me to do a university degree and it was when I just was going through that 2003 preseason and Miranda Banks, she was the, um, like the, the, the career kind of advisor there at the mm. Reds Academy. And I just, you know what, I just, it got to a point where I could do both okay, but none particularly well. I just yeah. couldn't, I just needed to like focus. put all my focus in one of those things. And I of course at that point it was going to be rugby, right? Yeah. So I think I was doing some sort of business degree or whatever, yeah. like just a generic business degree to be doing something. I was doing a Bachelor of Marketing. I reckon I went to about two yeah. two classes and then I, um, they said, oh, this assignment's due. And I was like, what the <laughs> fuck? And then I literally walked straight down, deferred, and then I've never contacted them again. So yeah. I, I've probably got some huge hex. Yeah, you I've probably do actually. <laughs> I, um, no, I just, I just think if you're not passionate about it, then there's not really any point at that point. Mm. Um, well, for me anyway, because yeah. I just wasn't committing to it. I, yeah. It was distracting me from things that I was really passionate about and trying to commit to. So, yeah, um, so yeah I just played for UQ, didn't, didn't study there. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, 2003, it was, it was a bit surreal because through that time at St. Pat's, like I'd always looked up to Chris Latham, he was a left-footed fullback mm. from, uh, you know, playing for Queensland. I was, I'm left-footed, playing fullback at the time. Mm. Um, and, you know, my first preseason, I'm like, I'm like, I'm literally holding his feet, like stretching his hammies. Like it was, yeah, that was sort of like a bit, like a bit of a shock for me, you know, a bit surreal. I'm like, you know, like, this is, you know, this is real, you know, like. Yeah, he's the, the guy that I've been watching on TV and he's the man too. Yeah, yeah. He's right there. Yeah. He's right there. I mean, I, I could tear his hemi <laughs> <laughs> if I just pushed this a little bit too far. Um, but then, of course, you know, then we had Wendell Saylor and we had, um, great you, know, some, you know, Elton Flatley and all these, like, great players, right, mm. um, that I was, I was learning off. And, uh, yeah, it was it was tough. Like, I was, I was 80 kilos ringing wet. Yeah. Playing in my first year because we had so many injuries. Playing thirteen, like I didn't, I hadn't played thirteen ever wow. in my life. And that's outside centre. Outside centre, yeah. And like I'd go into contact, and Tana Umang would just hold me up. My feet were just like flapping in the wind. And we're and talking like centres in Union can get get as high as one hundred and ten kilos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like big, big. Yeah, boys. like I was quick, but I wasn't strong, man. Like I, my my that preseason, I was maxing out on sixty in the bench. No. And like Todd Ikefu and these guys come up. Oh, I warm up with you, bro. And I was like, oh, I finished. <laughs> And just get, like, I was on my first set, but yeah. I just was like, I'm not going to like let these guys know I'm maxing out. Yeah, yeah. So I just walk oh, off. Yeah. <laughs> Eight, uh, 60 kilos. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, so that first preseason, was it a, a real a shock to the system? Of, like, oh, yeah. Wow, we had a guy, Steve Nance, who I think used to do quite a lot of the Broncos yep. um, um, preseasons, and he'd basically just jump on a bike and ride, and we just have to chase him. Like, really? Oh, man. Like, 
yeah, it was long. It was tough. And it was, you know, hard on the body. I didn't even have a license at that point. Um, you know, I was getting lifts to training. I was getting yeah. trains. I was sleeping on people's lounges. And um, and then basically got to a point where I was like, okay, I need a license. So, like, obviously didn't have enough time to learn how to drive a manual. So I just got a license to steer, Mate. basically. Got the, got the, uh, oh, I got the, the automatic. Too, bro. Yeah. There's no shame in it. Yeah, I know. I mean, especially now, like, you know, manual cars are sort of a dying breed. So yeah, seriously. Soon we don't even have to have anything. They'll just drive them for us. But You know what's funny <laughs> is I'm with you like uh, – you used to, I used to almost be ashamed to say that I could drive a manual. Yeah. Because I'm like, I'm less of a man. Yeah, yeah. But now I'm like, now I'm comfortable enough. I'm yeah. like, whatever. I don't give a shit. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was tough, man. Like, it, was, it was like all the physical stuff. Like, like I just struggled in that. All yeah. the wrestling. Um, you could probably run all day fitness-wise. Yeah, yeah. But, and the speed, like those areas where I could hold my own. But then there was a real like chasm when anything was physical. Yeah. Like I was like, I was a bitch. Like, you know, just like. That's how it was. And then I obviously needed to then put weight on pretty quickly. Mm. And it's always that fine balancing out, putting weight on, but maintaining yeah. like, you know, strength and muscle and yep. had a, a series of hamstring issues and, oh. you know, all that sort of do it too quick and you yep. overload and then they, they pop. But um, yeah, um, got a run and um, pretty- 2004 made your debut? Yeah, for the Reds, yeah. Do yeah. you remember uh, what was the uh, Matt, conversation? Was, I think it was in uh, Invercargill, mm. which is like, I mean, I remember going into the, the airport where it says like McDonald's, the, the most southern McDonald's in the world. <laughs> like it's like it's cold, man. Mm. And we're in winter, and I was playing against this um, Fijian center, Tiny Vula. It's just a beast, and I just didn't want to be like. <laughs> actually, of course, I wanted to be there, but I was on the bench, freezing, and I was freezing. And they're like, Drew, get up. And then like, then this, it's like opposing thirteen was just on fire oh no and uh and i was like shivering and i, I went out and you know and played and it was great to get that experience but mm. um yeah there's probably more glamorous places to make a debut but yeah um who was the team you played against uh the highlanders the highlanders yeah yeah um were they they were pretty dominant around that period or yeah yeah they're pretty they're pretty strong they're just like you know like the, the southern folk you know yep. like hard sort of farming yep. type that's um yeah, they were, they were a strong side. I mean, to be fair, like most most Kiwi teams are, yeah. are always pretty strong, no matter when you when you come up against them. But is there any play that you remember from the game at all? Like you know, feeling that first contact or an error or a try that you scored or anything? <sighs> no, not really. Not really from the first game. Um, my first try, I remember, mm. I was playing against the Brumbies, and we were getting like towelled up, and I scored late and carried on. Oh no! And oh, I got no. the whole mate fucking. You're getting flogged, mate. Pull your head in. Oh and to me, God. it was just like, I just, you know, to me, it was like a small little personal milestone. Yeah. And I get it. Like, I get it now. And <laughs> I'm like, dude, pull your head in. Like, so were you like, getting were flogged. you on these ones? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> and then I, I kind of like, once I heard like uh, one of the senior players, the Brumbies, like rip into me, I was like, yeah. But I was also like running back kind of somewhat proud of myself but also <laughs> feeling like mate you've just pork chopped yourself because so the brumbies do that was like mate you're getting tailed up yeah yeah yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah and i remember that game as well george gregan like every time the ball came to me whether it was a kickoff or whatever like they'd call me apples oh, really? like he'd call he'd be just behind the defensive line just going apples apples and i just didn't know what apples meant <laughs> and then my first wallaby camp later that year someone let it out that apples meant apple turnover because i always turn the ball over no way. Because I was so light and mm. so weak that in they the breakdown, if they went at me, if mm. they called apples, it was because they like 
go at me. Yeah, well, wow. on the break on the on the ground, I just was too weak to get it back, and, yep. and they turned over, and that broke my heart, man. Like, <laughs> I'm like this guy, like he was my captain for the Wallabies that like later that year, and he's like he, he thinks that less like that low of me that <laughs> I've got the nickname Apples Apple Turnover, <laughs> man. So when I got older, I started calling some other younger kids Apples, <laughs> just because <laughs> I knew exactly how much it hurts. <laughs> did what did uh, Greg say to you when you were like, oh, were you so young? Oh, that you just kind mate, of no. So he was my first roommate on my first training camp uh, at Coffs Harbour later that year in 2004. And to be honest, I just didn't really say much to him. Yeah, like, young I, um, we had like an adjoining sort of service department. So we had separate rooms. But we had like one common area, like with mm. the kitchen and stuff. And Greg's, you know, overseas coffee, he'd make you coffee. And mm. I didn't have it. I'd never had coffee before that. Yeah. And he'd be like, oh, mate, do you want an affogato? And I was like, sure. Didn't even know what an affogato <laughs> was. It's like, you know, your espresso shot over a scoop of ice cream. And like, I would just sit there at night, just be like wired, because never had like the coffee before. And so yep. just like, it smoked me. And I'd just be like this. And then I'd be up really up, up really early because I'm so anxious of being late because Eddie yep. Jones would just tear you a new one. And yeah. so I just, I barely slept that week. Then Greg, Greg's invited me over for dinner. He cooked up this nice pasta. And I'm like, what do I have in common with like, you know, Greg's married with kids and like, mm. you know, like business guy and this and that. And I'm like, just coming in 18, like, bleach my hair and like, you know like what because you would have the long hair yeah had the long straight like bleached hair i mean the the straightening was natural but um the the color definitely wasn't but <laughs> i just i just remember just like not wanting to offend yeah not wanting to try and ask the wrong questions mm. so just probably just sat there like pretty mute to be honest yeah um but yeah when and also kind of knowing behind that he thinks i'm apple's turnover oh man that would have eaten you <laughs> yeah. you're lying in bed going yeah is that how oh, he would have broken me? me if he asked me if i want an apple pie or something for, oh. for dessert and then like i'm like too much mate <laughs> yeah, yeah um it, it is it's interesting it's almost the reverse situation now with young fellas where they are super open and loud mm. and talk yeah. and so there's good things that come with that where you get to see the personality they feel more comfortable whereas i feel like our generation coming through it was in it was an issue for us where we were too scared to say anything. Yeah. And they would, sometimes the senior players would take that as they don't want to be here or yeah. know, not all the time, but sometimes. You know, you know what I think it is, especially in rugby, um, you can let me know if it's the same with the league, but I think the, the makeup of a squad has flipped. Mm. So when I was first starting, it was 80% players over 25, mm. you know, 20% of younger guys coming in, right? It was, it, was, it was a rarity that you get someone like a Matt Giddo that was picked out of nowhere and in a squad of, of 30, you have like a couple of young boys. Yep. Now, it's, now it's the other way. Now it's a rarity to have a couple of blokes over 30 in a squad. Yep. You know, like it's, it's been a real like flip. So then that means the, the average age of players is much lower and that's, you know, then they're more comfortable in their environment because they're, mm. they're just, you know, the players of the, of the same and similar age. So, yep. um, yeah, so I think with that, then obviously, like you say, there's, there's good and bad because they've got a voice and they want to use it, but then sometimes that's a bad thing as well. Yeah. They've got to know when to use it. And, uh, and also like with, with that respect of, of players that have been there before. Yeah. It's interesting. As I said, like it's a good, there's good and bads to both sides of things. Like I think yeah. some people get a bit too caught up in, Oh, this next generation are too loud. This and, and rightly so there yeah. is a part of that, yeah, yeah. but at the same time, sometimes when you see these rookies come through and they're filled with confidence and they make these big plays, mm. that's where it comes from. Yeah, it comes yeah. from this crazy confidence. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a funny thing as a supporter, right? Because we praise them when they do make those decisions and it goes well. Yeah. But then when that doesn't go well, we blow up. Yeah. And you're like, well, hang on. Like, you've got to let them, like, 
succeed and also failure, but mm. with the same type of mindset. And then, yep. then learning from those experiences, hopefully they learn from those experiences. Yeah. And I just keep doing the same thing over and over. <laughs> keep ch- uh, keep <laughs> chasing the yeah, middle of the field, yeah. right? But sometimes maybe that's the right option, right? And maybe the execution was poor or whatever, but yeah, we, we're, we're really quick to judge people on the outcome of something rather than the intent. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that's a great point. That's a great point. Um, okay, so your first, did you make your debut? You made your debut 2005 though. With yeah, so Wolves. 2004 I went on tour. Um, you know, in space. Like, well, you just got oh, what's going mate, on. Mate, like here. I had to carry Wally, the, the um, like little mascot toy, and <laughs> used to get stolen. I used to get tanned. I don't know if League do it, but basically you just in a court, kangaroo court session, if I, I'd lost the, the mascot for any amount of days, I had to go up and pull my strides down and <laughs> Radiki Samo or someone just like, like just a big, like, you know, this power slap thing with Dana White, but it was around your ass. And I would like be quivering and I'd have like trickles of blood going down my hamstring <laughs> oh, just from my ass man. cheeks. And I, and I, you know, I just, I was too shy and nervous to, to press on plays. Like I'd knock around. I remember going to Stephen Larkham's room and I was like, oh, excuse me, Stephen, do you, um, do you have wall in? He's like, no, mate, like come in and have a look if you want. And I just sort of, just sort of went, Oh, surface level look like what out. What I didn't realise, he'd used the lanyard that I had it like tied on to hang on a coat hanger and it was just between his clothes. Oh. So if I just had have done that, I would have found would it have right? found and it. saved myself like, you know, I guess uh, a real spanking. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, I went through that too. I played a, a midweek game against the French Barbarians, which is not capped. Um, mm. And then got on the bench for the test match against England at Twickenham last game of the year, uh, the last game of the tour, yep. last game of the year. And um, myself and Matt Hanjack were at halftime and Eddie Jones comes in and said, guys, get ready. Like, you're going on soon. <laughs> and we're like, fuck, how good is this? Like, my parents had flown over. Yeah. Um, you know, we're going on at Twickenham. Big game. But then it got a bit tighter and, and our guys went on to win and, and myself and Matty Hanjack rode out the full 80 minutes on, on the pine, mm. which means you didn't get capped. Yeah. Um, and obviously I'm pumped because the boys won, but there's also part of me was like, you know, like I was really close to – achieving like a, a childhood dream you know yeah and yeah. then to not have that and then john muggleton who's you know one of the paramount eel greats from yep. back in their heyday he was our defensive coach and he came up and he put his arm around me and he goes don't worry mate you're not ready anyway <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was like, oh my god all. apples <laughs> and that in the same year i was like geez i'm being tested but um and you know what maybe he was right i don't know but i, I don't know if that was the right time to tell me um <laughs> But uh, yeah, and so I just had to wait until uh, July, I think, in the the following season. It's uh, like, it's funny when you're that age, you are so desperate to achieve that goal. Yeah. You feel like time's running out, but you're so young. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, your older self would probably speak to your younger self and say, mate, just be patient and and keep working hard. And I'm sure you did keep working hard, but it does hit you quite hard. Well, mate, honestly, there'll be a time soon where we talk about where I didn't keep working hard, right? Because... Like you say, you, once you get your first cap, you never want to be the guy that only ever played one cap. Yeah. So you're worried about your second. Once you get through there, you want to get double digits, so you get 10. Like, you, is this so – it's weird how, like, part of us just wants to get to all these little milestones without actually, like, sitting in the moment and, like, appreciating what we've got at the time, yeah. right? And so 2005, I played 10 test matches, um, pretty much all the tests that year. Played well and just thought, how good is this? You know, I went on – I went uh, – I'm on holiday after 2005 and just like feet up, yeah. like how good, just no training, no nothing. training. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm, I was still young enough to bounce back quick enough. Evidently I wasn't, <laughs> uh, 2006 wasn't a great season for me. Mm. 
Um, there was a changing coach, John Connolly came in. Mm. Um, and after the Super Rugby season, um, was, I was driving into the physio at, at Ballymore and there was a bunch of players um, warming up out in the, on, the, on the backfield. And I went into physio, I said, oh, who are those guys training? And they go, oh, that's it's the 44-man Wallaby squad. So I, I, that was how I found out that I didn't even make the 44-man squad. Wow. Yeah, like that was, you know, you talk about now, like not getting a phone call or mm. finding out over Zoom or whatever. That was, they were the days where, like, if you didn't, if you didn't get picked, you just, you either see it on the news or you, like, I, walked, I drove past at the, at, the, at the car park at Ballymore and realised. No way. And I didn't play a test match, not one, or, or 2006. Did that, I mean, obviously there would have been that initial hit of disappointment, almost yeah. gut-dropping. How long did it take for you to go almost the fire be lit then? To be honest, probably a little longer than it should have because mm. obviously I was probably... Um, Kicking rocks. Well, and also probably governed by ego, right? Yeah, okay. That's not my fault. This is bullshit. Yeah, they got yeah. it wrong. Yeah. You know, like, you know, whatever, a new coach and all that sort of stuff, right? And it's one of those ones where, you know, it took me a little while to kind of just go, okay, like... You're the only one responsible because because of those those holidays that went on and because of the, yeah. the extra sessions I wasn't doing and because of those sixty kilo bench presses that I was still doing rather than <laughs> rather than progressing or whatever it might have been. Um, but that was that was probably the once I got past that, that was the moment I realised that talent got you so far, mm. right? And and it had to be talent. You had to have a good relationship between talent and hard work mm. and. And my, I, that relationship was severed for me at that period. Yeah. And I needed to kind of get my ass in the gear to, to get back to working hard. And just take it back a little bit, your debut for the Wallabies. Mm. What do you remember from that? Mate, I was, I was on the bench again uh, against South Africa. We're doing pretty well, uh, except we had like a lot of injuries in the back line. We had, um, so when I came on, Morgan Turanui came off with a calf tear uh, like five minutes into the second half. Mm. So again, I went on at centre. But I had Big Dell at 12. The big fella. <laughs> big Dell at all. So big big. De- look, Big Dell's got some skills, but passing ain't one of them. Oh, no. Kicking's not another. Um, and defensive and, and... Was he wearing those gloves too? Wearing the gloves. Oh, uh, he's not passing with those gloves I had Matty Rogers outside me as well. Um, but yeah, we, we, like, they, were, they were already doing a really good job in that first sort of 45 minutes and, and we kicked on with it and had a pretty pretty comfortable win. And uh, Matty Rogers got a... I think he got an intercept off our own line. Mm. He ran about 40, 50-odd metres before Brian Abena ran him down and then yep. threw it over to me and I was able to kind of avoid Brian and, uh, and get on a try. Debut. Yeah, get a try on debut. And, and then uh, going inside, obviously getting my cap, singing the anthem, and then I had to skull a beer for my debut and then also a beer for my first try. So I skulled two. <laughs> and I was vomiting into a, uh, into a bucket and I had this hand reach out and it was Johnny Howard because he was in the, in the sheds at the time. So no just had to wipe the mouth and, and, and shake the Prime Minister's hand. And, um, but yeah, so Holy. like, yeah, I got some good, some good, uh, good memories from my test debut. Are you sitting there, did the enormity of what had just occurred in your life hit you then or has, did it take a few years? Um, I mean, I think it did at, at times because, mm. you know, you get your jersey presentation the night before and someone like John Eels will do the jersey presentation and say some really cool things. But, like, going back to your room and I like having that, like, tangible jersey and got the crest, but you also got Australia versus South Africa, oh. Sydney, July, whatever the date is and all mm. that sort of stuff. I'm like, you know, that's sort of like where it's like, okay, this is real, you know. Like, yeah. um, and, and I was always someone that um, I found out pretty quickly – when I first started professionally that I couldn't mimic someone else's preparation. Mm. I tried to mimic Latho because he was um, 
someone I looked up to, but he was, he was a different person to me. Mm. I tried to like literally do everything that he'd do. He'd shadow everything that he'd do and realize pretty quickly that's not my preparation. Mm. Then I'd room with Wendell on a game day and he'd be <laughs> in his red Speedos. And, um, and, uh, and you it. that's your preparation. Yeah, but mate, <laughs> and, and, and we'd be sitting in the soft hotel up in Brizzy and that was back in the day where you had the phone, ta- like the phone accounts for your TAB. Uh, TAB, one eight six four six seven nine uh, Sailor. Yeah, 20 each way. On, you know, you had a yeah. phone account, right? Yeah. And we'd just sit there and watch like races all day. I go, mm. mate, we've got to go down for a pregame meal. He's like, no, no. Like, and then there'd be a knock on the door, two steak sandwiches, chips, and a couple of Coca-Colas come in. And, yeah. uh, and I'm like, oh, this is how you do it? I'm like, okay. And then I pretty quickly learned that I don't prepare like Wendell either. You know, I, I kind of had to find what my preparation was. And, yeah. and the other thing I realized pretty quickly was I couldn't con- concentrate for a long period of time before a game. You know, like yeah, okay. some players just have to be zen and they just think through things and they visualize and whatever. It got pretty apparent to me that if I did that, I'd be mentally exhausted and I just, mm. I'd, I'd play the game before I actually got out there to yeah, play okay. it, right? And so I, and this obviously took time and, and experience, whatever, but I got to a point where I could, I could, bank on the preparation I'd done mm. and not worry about it and not think about it and go out there and enjoy myself and enjoy the warm up and like, you know, and, and always pick my, pick my targets the players that were like-minded, but mm. you know, have a bit of a seeing, have a bit of a joke with the physio or the water guy or whatever. And you know, like find people in the crowd and that sort of thing. But I always knew when to then switch it on. Mm. But then like, I, I would, I'd vomit just before, like literally three minutes before every game. The moment they go, two minutes or three minutes or whatever, like to bring everyone in, yeah. like I'm straight out. And cause no that was the first time I'm proper thinking about the game. I get overwhelmed and I just go and throw. No and then way. I'd be like, just join the, the team huddle with like red eyes and <laughs> a couple crying. of tears. Yeah, a couple of tears. I'm like, they're like, you're right. I'm like, yeah, I'm right, right. But I, I did that at school. I did, it, um, I did it at club level, even when I was playing the Wallabies and I go back to play club, played some sub-districts footy for Balmain, mm. did the same thing like that. It, that just became what I, what I did. And not because of any, anything other than I just, I'd suppress the nerves and then I'd just allow it to flush me and then I'd just, I'd go out and play. Yeah, that's, wow. Like I mean. that, that um, my first test start was against New Zealand, I think the week after my, or two weeks after my test debut. And again, Tana Umanga was like <sighs> calling me out in the press saying we're going to, because I was playing fullback in this game. Oh, we're no. going to test this young fullback under the high ball, like, you know, naming me and I'm like, shit. Uh, yeah. Then I go out there and I face the haka and I, it may not have been the case, but it felt like Tana was just staring at me, right? <laughs> and I just was like, don't look away from him because yeah. then he will think you're a pussy. But yeah. then I'm thinking in my head as well, I'm like, but if you keep looking at him, he's going to think that you're challenging him. And I'm yeah. like, oh, I was in this like <laughs> weird, like, oh, like, what am I thinking here? Um, and so you know, I continued to kind of stare, but tried not to be like too tough looking, too which, aggressive. Which, is, which is also impossible if you looked at me at that point with my long, long straight Justin Bieber hair. But um, anyway, about 25 minutes, 30 minutes into that game, I scored a try off the back of a scrum. Yeah. And I got back to halfway and just vomited. Oh, like, wow. Yeah, it's got photos of it. Like just, I, and that was when I just was like, the pressure was just released yeah. and I was like, okay, I can compete out here. Yeah, you know? okay. And, um, and that was sort of where I just went, I got a lot of belief from that try, not because of the try itself, just because I'm like, okay, stop doubting yourself. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And so, um, yeah, some high pressure situations, but do you, I, do you feel like, um, have you struggled with anxiety outside yeah. of sport? Yeah, mate, I've got okay. that's, anxiety and I have probably the, you know, that's the <laughs> longest mate. relationship I've had. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I'm not afraid to um, to talk about it. Like, it's something that um, that has been pretty like ever present, especially more so towards the back end of my career and, and retiring. Yeah, I take medication for it now. Mm. 
And I just think it's like when I was retiring, obviously we, 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 we hear of the troubles and the struggles that players have in that transition. Mm. Um, and so I, I started to think about, okay, how am I going to help myself with inevitably what's coming? Right. Yeah. And so I thought, okay, I need to speak to a therapist. Mm. Um, not because of anything at that particular time, but I thought I need to equip myself with the tools to try and avoid certain things yeah. rather than get in them and then find my, find a way to get out of them. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, the, I, had Smart. teammates that have taken their life and, you know, and friends and, you know, like yeah. everyone sort of, unfortunately, everyone's probably linked to some type of, of um, experience or, or situation like this. So, so I thought, okay, since I was a kid, I've had a coach or a teacher and everything, right? Mm. I've, your ABCs, one, two, threes, walking, um, you're at school, yeah, your, your, your first coach in footy, like you've got a coach and a, a teacher and everything yeah. except for life itself. Yeah. Like we rely to be our, our coaches and teachers in life situations to be our nearest and dearest but it's not always the realest type of feedback that you get right like yeah. i could do anything my mum would go no love you're right yeah. like you know like you're doing great or whatever yeah whereas you know sometimes you don't you need someone to tell you no you're an asshole or you've done the wrong thing or mm. you're going down the wrong path whatever which look my parents are really good at that as well you know to in certain situations but i just felt like there's there are times and even like it's easier to talk to some people that you don't know yeah. weirdly yeah it's easy to talk to someone you've never met in your life yeah and get some advice or get the tools to help you mm. with different situations or even understanding like why am i reacting like this every time i'm faced with this sort of situation yeah it's because of something that happened to me when i was young or mm. something happened at this time whatever so anyway it's a long-winded sort of um answer to the fact that yeah anxiety and i um go sort of you know that that's my plus one yeah. <laughs> um, but you know like I, I think it's also you know like exercising is great um yeah. you know, having routine for me having purpose um all these types of things but also trying not to be reactive mm. you know like not waiting for for things to blow up because as we know you know things are good for a period of time but then they're not yeah but then also things are bad for a period of time until they're not as well so mm. um yeah it's I try not to wait until things are bad to do something about it yeah it's uh it's super smart to be proactive rather than reactive yeah. i mean I, I say that as well but there's still periods of time where I go to my therapist for you know pretty consistently, and then yeah. I'm like I'm on top of the world, and yeah, then I have to good. stop, and then yeah. I'm like, and then I'm not on top of the world. I'm like, oh, can I have a you know appointment yeah. or whatever? So yeah. yeah, I mean it's 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 about having you know formulating habits, right? Yeah, and, um, yeah, and and I guess identifying uh, the benefit that you get from them. Yeah. Do you think you being really good at sport almost it didn't mask the issue? Not at all. You were vomiting. Mm. But like, because you achieve such great things, it almost like let you release your, you know, oh yeah, yeah. I'm good. Yeah, I think so. Like, I mean, you know, I, I guess when I was younger, I just thought. This is how you feel. Anxiety was nervous. Right? Yeah, like, I was the same. I, I, I just like, I thought it was nervous. Yeah, yeah. Whereas now, I, now I'm old enough and mature enough and experienced enough in situations where I'm like, there's a distinct difference between For sure. having those butterflies in your, your belly and and the, the running man legs in bed, you know, like there's, um, there's a difference between anxiety and nervousness. Like feeling sick in your chest. Yeah, yeah, or just tired or whatever, like, yeah. you know, however it presents itself, you, it, like it's easier to identify for me now what's, mm. what's nerves and what's anxiety. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's, it's such an important thing because I think, you know, a guy like yourself, you achieve so much, but it's really good for blokes listening right now to know, like if you've, if you've got anxiety about your job or, mm. or whatever it is, and 
it doesn't get spoken about much, but like a lot of men do have anxiety about their jobs yeah, yeah, and how yeah. much they're getting paid and can they provide for their family. Well, that's it's, you know, like, it, that's what it is, right? Anxiety is like worrying about things that haven't happened yet, yeah. right? Whether it's, you know, am I going to be able to pay for this? Or am, I, am, mm. am I going to be able to provide? Or all these types of things. So, right, it's it's really trying as best you can. It's Of course, it's impossible to do this all the time. Yeah. Unless maybe, I don't know, shallow monks or something or <laughs> whoever like have, have achieved that. But to try and stay present, right? Yeah. Like, and, and not to allow yourself to to i guess be sidetracked with things that haven't happened yet yeah because they may not even happen yeah it's like it's worrying is almost punishing mm. yourself twice yeah you know because you're punishing yourself in the moment and then if it does happen you're punished Again. as well yeah yeah um so yeah it's it, it's actually i think uh, a lot of you know the community that listens to podcasts they may be surprised at how many athletes yeah genuinely have like anxiety about certain things like i, I struggle with anxiety not not as much anymore, but when I was playing mm. massively, like no one was allowed to call me at all during the day. Yeah. No one was allowed to text me. If you did, you knew I was going to be filthy at you the next yeah, day. Yeah. And that was all because I was so, and don't get me wrong, it actually, it's hard because it's almost like your superpower as well. Yeah. Because it makes you so fucking tuned in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's trying to find that balance of yeah. not negatively affecting yourself, but also using that energy in the right in direction the right, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, in the right way, yeah. Um, Anyway, so, so yeah, you make your debut and then you get back into the side in 2007. Mm -hmm. Was the fact that the World Cup was coming an extra motivator or was it very, very personal to you that you wanted to get back in? Uh, I mean, it was, it was both. Obviously, like World Cup, it's our pinnacle. We spoke about it earlier. Um, but I was also like, like heavily embarrassed mm. from playing 10 tests in 2005 to then not even making a wider group in 2006. Yeah, wow. I did towards the back end. I went on the tour but didn't play a, squad, uh, didn't play a game. But... You know, I just, I just, and I was, I was filthy at myself because I knew a lot of it was because of myself, right? Mm. Yeah, the, there were great players playing great footy at the time, but I also really didn't give myself a proper chance by, by not preparing well and yeah. and and not um, putting myself in a position physically, um, applying myself mentally, but also like doing the homework around video and all that sort of stuff. I just was yeah. like, I was cutting corners, right? Mm. And and then basically I just got cut off. So mm. I, um, 2007, I that was like. Towards the back end of 2006, 2007 was the moment where I was just like, I need to make a change here. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and, and I, I did. I, I made the, the 2007 squad um, and, yeah, had a pretty good um, set of pool games. Um, mm. I was the highest try scorer in those pool games at that point um, and got to the England quarterfinal and got dropped for Adam Ashley Cooper. No way. Yeah. yeah. So, so okay, you played really well in the group uh, in the group stages. Yep. And was there one game before the quarter final or the quarter final? No, straight in the quarter. So we, we, I played what Fiji, um, Wales, Canada, and um, Japan. And what was the reason? I scored for seven tries. Um, I don't know. He didn't give me one. He just said I'm going to go with 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 Adam, and so Swoop got to start. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I got on for maybe the last 15 minutes or something like that. What, what, um, what's it like being a part of a, a World Cup? Like one of the biggest sporting events yeah, in the world. Mate, it's epic. Like, and I, I look, I've, I played in three uh, and each of them were different for different reasons, right? Like 2007, I was young, I was 23. Yep. Um, it was a foreign speaking country. It was all in France. We were based in Montpellier the whole time. Like the, the country really got around it. Like it was pretty, um, I know it was just like, it was an amazing thing to be around, but also we were, 
we had a pretty handy side and to bow out in the quarterfinals is like a huge letdown. Yeah. Um, so we kind of went away from that pretty bitter. Mm. Uh, 2011, I just kept my, my ankle like three and a half, four months before the World Cup. Yeah, okay. Break it and, and dislocate it in Queensland. Um, played 20 minutes of club footy, got picked in that squad. It was probably not conditioned well enough. Got picked on history, which I'll be thankful forever from Robbie Deans, but yeah. just didn't have the miles on my legs. Yeah. Played a couple of games. Once I started doing the double session days, I was playing against Russia. Um, like I'd scored a couple, I was going for a hat-trick, went to pick up a ball like a loose ball, popped my hemi. Oh. Next day on a flight, out. So pretty, um, you know, again, a premature end to, to my World Cup. I was in the pool stages. I was home. I've, I've watched... Actually, I watched the boys play in the semi-final from like San Francisco. I'd been to a festival over like overlooking Alcatraz. What, <laughs> what festival was it? I don't know. I don't know what it was. I just <laughs> went to see some friends, and we went to some festival and got home. By the time we got home, Australia playing New Zealand because yeah. I couldn't be in the country. No replacement could come to New Zealand until I'd been shipped out. So really? Yeah, and uh, my parents were going over to watch me and the team play in the quarters onwards, but. I was on the, on the flight, flight home and they're like, oh, we feel bad. I was like, no, why? Like, yeah. like I'm just going to be sitting at home. I actually, inevitably, I wasn't sitting at home <laughs> watching it. But um, yeah, so but that, was, that was tough, right? Because I just, also, I was disappointed that I was filthy, you know, tore my hamstring, ankle wasn't great. Um, and yeah, and went home early again. So, mm. but New Zealand, like they got around it. Obviously they love their rugby there. So, and there's a lot of culture over there, which is like, you know, you're immersed in. So yeah. that World Cup outside of, the footy stuff was great. Mm. Um, and so, so we'll take it back to 2007. Yeah. This is also when you signed for Western Force. Yeah. Is this their inaugural year? No, I went there in their second year. The second year. Yeah. What was it? So what was the decision to leave the Reds? Was it money? Money? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> like, sure. Like when you're 23 or whatever, you try and pretend that it's something else. And look, it was money, but also what we talked about earlier. Like I did want change because mm. change is what I'm familiar with. Yeah. But there was a company back in the day, um, some may have remembered it, Firepower. Mm. It's like a fraudulent company. Oh, what? That like was just, yeah, it was like a, it was a sponsor of the Western Force um, that that was sponsored. They, they owned the Sydney Kings when they went to, like when they went under. Yep. That was because it was owned by this company or like the bloke that ran it, Tim Johnston. Um, V8 Supercar team were firepower um the rabbitos were sponsored by firepower yeah um western force all this right and so i went over there in a deal that was facilitated by the western force at the time mm. they never admitted it because if they were then they'd be sanctioned and whatever yeah. but i mean they'd, they've like denied being in meetings where <laughs> i was with the ceo of the company <laughs> and president and ceo of the rugby team and my <laughs> partner at the time right they're like no we weren't there like, <gasps> oh, okay. so anyway um but yeah, that was like 50% of my wage for, two, for three years. As in that, that company was... Yeah, it just didn't turn up. Just didn't turn up. Yeah, because the, the company was fraudulent. Like, so what, what basically was it? it was like a fuel additive or like a dialysis machine for fuel refinery companies or something. So like back in those days, carbon credit, credit trading, or whatever, between countries was huge. And he, like the guy was crafty, right? Like he'd been on like current affair and there's all sorts of different books and stuff written about him and yep. how he pulled the wool over all these mum and dad investors, right? Yep. Basically get him to invest on something that sounded legit, but didn't okay. actually exist. And he was just like spending everyone's money. No way. So he basically raised capital mm. for a an idea or pattern that yeah. didn't work, and was having like meetings with the Prime Minister of Australia, with with the, the President of Russia, and 
getting photos or whatever to try and like substantiate the story. Yeah, but and all so, it was, yeah. they didn't say that those leaders went, fuck off, man. Yeah, get, <laughs> like, out, of yeah, get out of here. But like kind of, yeah, using it as evidence to say that it's legit. But No way. Um, like, you know, because like, you go to investors and be like, here's me with ex-president, uh, mm. you know, they're considering yeah. purchasing out. So then they go, oh, okay, then great. Then we'll give you a grant yeah. through the Australian government. And then because they get a grant, that's almost further endorsement that it's actually legit or whatever. Thing. So like it just sort of started to evolve, it's, right? Um, it's like the, the, the woman founder recently that's a big fan of Steve Jobs. I've, she had a patent for some blood. Mm. Oh, um, yeah. It's a, it's a big show about it. I forgot his name now. But anyway, similar situation. Mm. Like she had this idea of being able to test your blood with just a pinprick yeah, or something. Yeah, I remember something about that, yeah. Um, and it was just all fraudulent. Like yeah. It just didn't exist. But, and she, she raised billions of dollars. Yeah, right. Billions of dollars. Yeah, well, so that was – look, that was a tough one, mate, because mm. that was a real life lesson in the sense that I should never do anything for money. Yeah, okay. Like that shouldn't be the, like the motivating factor. Mm. And – Look, it's a it's an expensive lesson. Um, uh, what, what, when the money's not coming in, yeah, man, are, I, are you angry at Western Force? Because you're like, yeah, because they weren't like they were denying different things. Then I was angry at like the, the 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 guy because you know he would go on tours and stuff with us, like with his family and stuff. Like, you're dastardly. like, mate, I was like, honestly, I was there three years, and I, and three years when I say three years, the, the first half of each of those three years, because the second half you pretty much based on the East Coast of the Wallabies, mm. but I was just chasing meetings like chasing cash like as much as I could on my days off. Like I didn't get to Rottnest Island once in the three years I lived there. No way. My uncle and auntie lived three hours north and didn't even visit them once. Like, you know, I was just like I was and I became so toxic, so negative because of this. And I allowed yeah. my I allowed the financial situation I was in to dictate and determine the mood that I was that I was in, but yeah. also the the person that my friends and family were getting as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um which at the time I probably wasn't really that aware of, but yeah. you know, after the fact, it kind of got to a point where I'm like, I just need to go back east. Yeah, okay. Um, and I need to be closer to, because also like, Perth's yeah, like it's five hour flight, but it's long enough for people to come for like, you know, if they visit, they they don't really come for a weekend. Mm. They come for a week or two. Yeah. So you're getting like less regulars, uh, less um, visitors, like less regularly and whatever. Yeah. So like, it is a bit isolating. Um, plus I'm going through all this, and then like think you're going over there for this reason then you it's like you're an absolute haircut of that so when you're speaking to like cause it's easy for and again oh, this is all assumptions i don't know mm. but it's easy for western force to go oh well he was fraudulent but at like the end of the day like an amount was agreed to they're your employer yeah but see because it was a third party deal and there's not allowed to be facilitation between clubs and third so, parties okay, so and they're pretending like they had literally nothing yeah. to do with it yeah, and that you and would look, source and, and it yourself. It must be said as well. It's not the current regime at the Western Force, so I don't want any of this to kind of come back onto the current people. But yeah. there was times, and it wasn't just myself. Matt Giro was there. Um, Ryan Cross, formerly in yeah. Union Player. Um, there was probably about eight of us that were sponsored by Firepower, and yeah, we all got wow. hung out. Like, oh, none of us felt supported because, like, we had a, a meeting. I remember it the night before a Queensland Reds game at Suncorp, mm. like at ten o'clock at night. They brought us all in. What? And they said, we were like, you guys, you, you guys were there. And they're like, well, no, we weren't there. And we're like, <laughs> like, we're playing the next day. And we like, our, the leaders of our club were telling it, like, we're lying to us. And like, and, and I get it. I do get it now that I'm older because if they had been implicated, then the Western Force, as we know, it probably yeah. wouldn't have existed after the, the, their second year, right? And like, that's not good for rugby. It's not, yeah, it's not good for anyone, right? Yeah. Like, you're not getting any money yeah, <laughs> if, yeah. uh, if, if that happens. But, um, so I, I get it. I just think it could have been communicated a lot better. Yeah, or maybe some kind of, I guess, just an 
I know it's hard for them to be honest because like then if you mm. if you go out and repeat what they said yeah but I guess some trust I guess between look guys this is the reality of the situation yeah and then give and then I guess show at least some empathy as to what's happened to you boys to yeah, yeah um and so okay so so that happens did you have success at the Western Force so as a team or not um really? look we we definitely progressed mm. we we had a pretty good side at that time. Mm. Um, we were just outside the top four. Mm. Um, Which and isn't bad for like yeah. Super Rugby with the New Zealand sides. Yeah, and that was New Zealand, South Africa back in those days. And we were just outside the finals. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, and then I, I don't know, like I was there seven, eight, and nine, mm. 2007, eight, and nine. Um, yeah, we got close, but I, like they've done better since. But then obviously there's, they've been out of the comp and back in like, you know, like, uh, mm. The Western Four story is still one that's been written now, but um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it de- defines success. We didn't win a comp, we yeah. didn't make finals, but we definitely progressed from where we were in the first year. Yep. And what about you personally? Your your footy? Did you? So you make your way back in two thousand and seven. Did you feel like you were progressing each year and becoming? I guess you know, when you're a rookie, you come in, and even if you're great, you're still not expected to constantly impact games. But I feel mm. like at this point in your career, you're probably now expected to. If you don't impact games, you haven't had a yeah 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 and that that was my expectation as well um Mm. and i played a fair bit of fullback over in the western force Mm. um that's where i sort of grew up playing played a lot of wing at the reds because chris latham obviously and then that was another thing i guess when i'm you know without being too hard on myself about why i went to the western force was an opportunity to play fullback as well um but you know myself and cam shepherd kind of shared that role um but yeah i mean i I felt like my game was getting better but i also think that because of this the team that we're in talking about before the makeup of the squad, it was actually mm. probably one of the youngest squads in Australia at that point. So, mm. you know, Matt, Matt Gitto at number 10, um, you know, a couple other sort of seniorish players. But, like, whilst I was still young, mm. I started having a bit more of a voice in the side and yep. a bit more of a senior position because I was one of a few Wallabies in that squad. And mm. um, I guess by default, having those represent- representative honours gave my... I, I guess gave me a, at least... Yeah, I guess a little bit of leadership, I suppose, yeah, in that squad. Yeah. Um, and so 2009, you agreed to 2009 leading into 10 yep. to the Waratahs. What was the, the reasoning for that? Um, mate, I just, I enjoy, I enjoy Sydney. Each time we go to the Wallaby camps, um, Sydney's uh, always appealing. I'm also, you know, I think part of me was also like, um, you know, New South Wales, I'm, I'm keen to represent them. I, yeah. I, I spoke to the Reds when I was... Uh, about to come back and I was pretty close to be fair to, to signing with them um, but I don't know what it was in the, the sort of towards the back end of that decision making process where I'm like no I'm going to play at the Waratahs I think also because the Waratahs were consistently playing finals yeah. and I was like I want to go there and win something yeah um, that was probably the the biggest one I, I think because at the time the Reds were going through um, you know still from when I left to, to, to then as well, like this was, you know, the Reds really probably started to turn around at that time where I could have gone to the Reds, right? Because yeah. I had that run into the 2011 premiership with Ewan McKenzie. But yeah. until that point, like they, you know, like they'd been to their own standards underperforming and yeah. I wanted to go to a team that, um, that was, was, you know, competing consistently at finals. And so you go to the Waratahs and did you have success over the three three-ish year period um again to find a success we had some tough years yeah i remember um you know getting booed off sfs no way. Um, yeah i felt like playing against the cheaters and maybe we had to host a fan forum 
like for like basically fans to come and just lay into us. Like, and I was one of the four players that was put on the on the panel to uh, to answer questions and and to try and alleviate and and settle everyone's tensions. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's you know, I guess it's understandable, right? People pay their hard earned to come yeah. and watch you play, and if and if it's not so much the losing, it's probably the nature and how we're losing, and, yep. and um, I guess probably the lack of fight at times, but. Um, but we also made some finals in those t- periods as well. And then just my time there was probably most hampered by a pretty bad injury. Yeah, um, with the, the clash of, uh, was your brain, ankle shattered, dislocated ankle? Yeah, so yeah, ankle sort of spun around the other way. Um, and yeah, and, and fractured my fibula and, and it went back in pretty well. As yeah, like I said before, four months before the World Cup. Um, I had some more issues after that though, like there was a, a spur that grew where the, the, the pin was. Oh. Um, and then that spur basically just, like I had a tendon on the inside of my foot, the tip post tendon, which stops you from going flat footed, oh. just kept rubbing over it. And then eventually that ruptured. And so no way. I was 2012, I just sit down with my agent and he said, mate, prognosis isn't great. We have to start looking at life after footy. No way. And from that moment on, like I don't, I didn't hear a word in that meeting. Like, like, so, like I said, like if your foot goes flat-footed, there's no chance I'm coming back to play. Yeah, um, and your speed is your asset too. Right, exactly. So I'm like, okay, life after footy at 26, 27 or something, um, not the greatest, especially when I didn't go through with that uni degree earlier. Um, yeah, it was pretty upsetting. Um, I, was, I was in a boot um, and we're going to – the last-ditch effort was to try and do a tendon transplant from underneath my foot and put it around the, the base of the ankle there. And – Weirdly, I was, I was up in Queensland with my parents for Father's Day and I was playing with my nieces and nephews in like one of those Nintendo Wii things where yeah. you, you run in front of the screen or whatever. And I took my boot off and I was like, well, it's getting fixed anyway. I might as well just like, it's, it's busted. Yeah, like, it's whatever, fine. what, what yeah. more can I do? And I was able to like, I started to like walk on it and I was able to like run on the spot and I started to jump a bit and I was like hopping. I was like, fuck, this is weird. No way. So I went to... I, Went down on Monday, went to the doctor and I showed her. I said, Sharon, like, don't get upset with me, but I've done this. And she was like, I'm upset with you. I was like, yeah, but if I didn't do this, we wouldn't know. But no, then yeah. she took me straight across to the surgeon, in front of the podiatrist, everyone. They just like, they couldn't understand. So apparently it's somehow the two ends of the tendons are like attached itself and it started to regenerate somehow. Like there's what? literally like, they honestly, like I still go now as a commentator to Queensland or to the Waratah games. And surgeons who are on the sideline, you know, the games, I'll come up and go, how's that ankle? Like, I still can't get my head around it. Like, really? there's like, there was no, and they just said, okay, Drew, like, if we do the, the, the transplant, there's 20% chance it'll work. Yeah. Let alone if that'll work to a point where you can play professional yeah. footy, right? Yeah. So that's not great prognosis. So if, if it's attached now and you can actually function, let's just go. And we can do this in a month if it, if it breaks down or a year or however long. Mm. And I still haven't had any issues with it. That is wild. Yeah. That is yeah. like, it's so, like, just doesn't happen. Like, that I know. does yeah. not happen. Like, honestly, like, each of the doctors and the medical professionals, they'd still, whenever I see them, they'd just be like, have they still don't know. Have they looked at, like, the previous scans and been like, yeah, maybe like, we mate, I had, like, it? the tendon sheath, like, shaved off, like, shaved back, and it was like, 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 like it, it properly, like, ruptured. Yeah. You know, like, where it peels back and whatever. So they've reviewed everything. Yeah. To make sure and that, they just like, 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 they're like, the, I mean, there's literally two ends. No and then, way. Yeah. That's, that's actually wild. And so I even got to the point where I'm like, when I came back playing in Waratahs, but then more so in Toulon, I'm like, 
Not str- I didn't even strap my ankles or anything. I'm like, what? It, well, I just feel, I feel like if I'm relying on a bit of tape to hold my ankle together, then I yeah. shouldn't be playing. Yeah, wow. And I just like to feel a bit more free than bit more free in that. Yeah, they made it. The Broncos, they made it um, compulsory. Compulsory yeah, to strap ankles. We weren't allowed to play footy unless we had our ankles. Yeah, I, I I never got around that. Like I just thought, like if we're, we're if we're relying a bit of what is it, Luke tape or something, then, yeah. then we, we probably shouldn't be out there. Yeah, it's um, and, and you're right. It does it does stiffen the ankle up quite mm. a bit. And like I've and look, this is this is just Google and the internet. Yeah, but I've read some people feel that strapping can actually be worse. Um, yeah, right. For the tent. So anyway, um, okay. So then you so you're at the Tars, and then yep. you decide uh, before we get further. Mm. What's your most memorable game against the All Blacks? Ah. Uh. Well, I mean, that first one, for the reasons I spoke about before, mm. um, probably against, I mean, I, I think I've played them 16 or 18 times and yeah. won twice or three Far times. Out. Not great, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'm not alone in that stat either. So um, uh, maybe Hong Kong. Mm. We played them up in Hong Kong and we just like, I mean, it was a game where James O'Connor kicked that, Penalty, oh, the conversion after the get, like after the siren to win it. Yeah, there's a game where Quaid and the Richie, which I, I heard you guys speak about a few weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, the, Richie the and Quaid kind of had that little push after that try, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I had scored a try down the left. Adam Ashley Cooper scored a really good try from about halfway out. Like it was just, it was just like we had a, like this backline: Genya, um, Quaid, Gido, Ashley Cooper, myself, Kurtley, James O'Connor. Like it was just. It was like all out attack. We probably weren't great at defense. It's crazy but, though, like how different it is now. And like, I hate to be too negative, but like they were all household names. Yeah. Whereas like, and this is no disrespect to yeah, the current yeah. crop, but like, I, I don't know any current player. Yeah. Like, I, I think that's probably where we talk about engagement and that type yeah. of thing. We, we as a game need to get better. I think even broadcasting, we can try and, you know, because I think even like little things in rugby league, right? Like, you know, like you feel like you know Jonathan Thurston because of his laugh yeah. or Josh Adokar because of his laugh and his character and mm. Sam Thider. Like, they, they just do really well. And obviously, there's different platforms to do that and, and to allow that to happen, but do really well to celebrate the player and the star and, the, and, really, and really put them up, up as, in the lights as a star. Um, and that's where we've got to get to. Like, and, and that's with marketing from Rugby Australia yeah. and their, their club teams and Super Rugby teams, but also. Um, you know, celebrating them as in their story because everyone's got a different story. Hundred percent. Right? Yeah. If I'm rugby, I would start small and I would literally just hire someone like me for rugby. Are you trying to get a, a gig? No, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might know someone. We've got a pretty appealing. You could be in France, the Beak in France later, oh, mate, later the on this year. In France. Stop it. Yeah. Um, but like, I think that would like I would if I was I would make it like so I wouldn't be the official page of the Wallabies. Yeah. But I would, if I was the, the the union board, I would fund it, yeah, and make it look. It's your external thing. You're not officially with us or whatever, and that's that would be the way to engage the young yeah. audience and get people in. in and, it, and it would be super cost effective because you're going to yeah. pay some ex player, I don't know, eighty k a year or yeah. whatever it is. And it, again, I only played forty games, so I'm you, sure. could, you could find a guy yeah, like yeah. that. Um, and that would be a guerrilla way to get back yeah. into the the kind of um, into the people. But yeah, so back to the Hong Kong game against yeah. the Blacks. And so, yeah, is that the most memorable game? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, memorable for positive reasons. Yeah. Um, I remember facing a Harker at the Eden Park, at Eden Park and uh, I was sort of standing there, um, obviously, you know, pretty 
daunting place because of the the history of our results there. Not there's nothing about the stadium, right? Like everyone's like, why is it about Eden Park? I'm like, tell you what's fucking what it is about the Eden Park is the 15 blokes you're playing against. Yeah, That's what yeah, it is. Absolutely. Um, but there was one time I remember, it's like one of those sort of core cool memories where I was watching the Harker and there was like literally a lightning storm going on behind them. So like no they're like, way. like, you know, doing their, their, um, their Harker. And, and as they're going like this, like it was like, it was pouring rain. Yeah. It was like lightning. I was like, like it was theater. Right. And I That's was like, so and, and people like, so oh, it's unfair advantage and not for the All Blacks. I'm like, nah, like, like when you just witness raw emotion, yeah. Like it's hard not like I'm getting like goosebumps now. Like it's 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 hard not to get like emotionally elevated from that, right? Yeah. And you know, some people say that it's actually detrimental for them because they're on such a high that it's always better to kick off to them, right? Yeah. Because then they like they might, you know, fine motor skills might might be out a little bit or whatever. Yeah. But that's why they're now dumps all that. Well, that's why they now try and do like two or three minutes of hitting pads and stuff. Uh, Okay, I'm like, you can't take two or three minutes to do your harker, then another two or three minutes to do that. That's a job. You can't get both. I I, look. I think any professional athlete that feels it's an advantage, hand in your pro athlete card right now. If that doesn't make you go, all right, you're you're like it amps. Let's fucking go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think it's great. Like one, I think it's great because they're celebrating their culture. Yeah. Um, But two, I just. I think it's it's great theatre, um, and yeah, I mean, and three, I mean, facing it like it's just like even like just you just feel the grips of you like getting them again, like look yeah. at that. Um, it's crazy. Like you know, like you're feeling the grips tighten from the, the teammates next to you. Yeah, like, you're about you know, to like, when they the sit boys. there and they go to like they hit some sort of like one part of it or whatever, and you just like you just get a bit of a squeeze. Yeah. Like in unison, you just sort of know that, okay, we're in this together. Like, yeah, yeah. And we're up against it, but we're here for it. Because it galvanises you guys. Yeah, it brings yeah. you together and go, we're going to battle, boys. Like, yeah. We're ready. So, mate, I think it it's such a, a unique part of union. And I know they do it in other sports, yeah. but union is the – Yeah. It's, it's a unique selling point that you don't really see much yeah. of in any other sport. Yeah, and I mean – and I, I think obviously, you know, credit to the All Black staff and whatever and the amount of time they put into it because it's always like – it's well drilled. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. And yeah. It, is the- it is theater. Like yeah, it is yeah. so well done. But you can just you, can, you see how much it means to them, and mm. um, you know, and and yeah, I think hopefully um, in terms of culture and that type of stuff that we we start making up some ground in that area as well. And so in in terms of you know. Obviously, you have respect for the All Blacks, obviously, yep. and I'm sure that you're friends with a lot of modern yeah, people. Yeah. But is there Hatred's the wrong word, but when you're playing the All Blacks, is it like, like for example, at the Broncos, when you we used to play the Storm, mm. and I, this is, I know this is a much smaller scale, no, no, no. but you could cut the air with how fucking much we wanted to beat these blokes. Yeah, I mean, I, I look, there's definitely that. Like mm. in the dressing rooms, it's it's different. Like blood is like weak. The build-up's always different. Um, you know, I mean, I, I started in what is it, 2005, my first game against them, and we haven't won it. Like. I've never won it. <laughs> Just before me, I think it was 2003 or yeah. something like 2002 or three that we won it last time. So, you know, there's a gener- like more than a generation of players have never, never touched it, you know. Mm. Um, so there's a, like, there's, a, there's a real desire for, yeah. um, for everyone that's been, but also there now, and I'm sure that are coming to, to, to break this drought. But um, I know it's, it's a hard one, mate, because you know what it's like as well. If you go out there with like this sort of like hatred and, and I don't know, like you, you can get distracted by that and then all yeah. of a sudden you're overlooking the detail and you're shooting out the line and becoming individual and someone gets through or whatever that. So there's, there's a balance of like wanting to get one over them but also trying to stay real present that mm. you can still execute. And yeah. 
Um, you know, there are times, you know, look, there are times where we got beaten by a better team, you know, a number of times, but there's also times where we, we, we didn't help ourselves either. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just interesting because, like, I think there are certain teams that it's just different. There's yeah. just something yeah. there that just makes it a bit more, means a lot yeah. more. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's always remarks and, and, and whatever that you kind of hold on to and you're yeah. like, fuck, like, <laughs> give us another chance or, you know, like whatever yeah. it might be. But, um, but, I mean, I think, you know, like now that I'm out of it now and you, you've kind of just got to just suck it up and go like, you know, good on them. Like yeah. they, they stayed at the top for a very long time. Mate. And when I say they stayed, like that's – presuming they're not there now yeah world rankings they're not at number one now but they're still obviously um beating us in Bledisloe's. but yeah like to be able to be hunted and stay up there for that period of time is also pretty impressive mm. and also uh, a bit of pub ammo i hope it's mm. accurate australia's highest try scorer in a world cup history well yeah in all world, world cups yeah so um yeah that's sort of my i guess my my claim to fame i guess i don't have too many other records or things but um so how many tries is it so i've got 14 tries at world cups oh. um and brian abana and jonah lomu have 15 so um that's of the men's i think portia woodman from the women's has um surpassed so all you're of us w- only one behind the great lomu yeah and i actually think that um it was rude of brian to try and equal him <laughs> he was obviously a former teammate of mine at toulon and we were playing at toulon so at the same bro. time that we were um playing at that world cup 2015 yep. yeah and habsy was just chasing another try like no he just way. wanted nothing more than to 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 support like to to go past jonah but i know i just feel like jonah should probably should have sat there on on top of the throne by himself Mate, he's spe- absolutely that's why i dropped a few balls so. <laughs> <laughs> um okay so you decide to go over to toulon yep now this when you decided i think the eligibility rules were that you basically couldn't play for australia yeah so that was part of the decision is that yep. i'm going over to france and i'm foregoing any chance to play for australia again and uh michael check was the coach of the waratahs he's like mate don't go and i was like like he was telling me you know mate like you don't have to go to france and i was like hey my last contract negotiation you were trying to get me to start france because he was coaching over there i was like don't turn around now just because you want me to stay <laughs> um but uh i yeah went to toulon i had a I had a bigger offer at a couple of other clubs, but I just thought it was really important to go somewhere with some familiarity. And, and mm. Matt Giddo was at, at Toulon. I was the best man at his wedding, he and Bianca. Um, Can I just ask quickly about Giddo? Mm. And look, I love a shit haircut. Like, yep. I, I fucking love it. Yeah, yeah. But did the boys give it to him? Mate, he had some iconic. Honestly, he was like, I just didn't really speak to Gets when I first joined the squad because okay. he was too quick witted. Oh, like, really? he just like. He just put you on spotlight and, oh, and no. just put, the, put you on the, under the burner. And I, like, I mean, I'm sure I spoke to him, but I never, like, I'd never give him, like, you know, he had the, like, the little symbols in the side and he oh, had, like, the skunk disgusting. hair. And, but Eddie Jones used to make him shave it. Like, he'd go, oh, really? Yeah, he'd be like, no, you're going you're gonna to be known for your football, not your haircut. <laughs> like, Eddie Jones used to make us spray paint our boots black. So like, no really? one's wearing white boots. Like, you're going to be known for your footy. Literally spray Yeah, like, if, if, you were, if you got to game day and you're in the sheds and you're putting your boots on and you didn't like the colour, like, that, he'd, He'd get the manager and just go shh and spray your boots. No way. Because he wanted you to be known for your football rather than, than your what you're wearing. Yeah, That's so old school. But um, yeah, Gitz had some shit cuts, didn't he? Um, oh, but I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Like, please don't confuse this with me. Yeah. The shit of the haircut, the better the bloke. I honestly reckon <laughs> that that is a fucking, that's an, that's an equation that always works out. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I, I'm struggling getting around this mullet trend, eh? Oh, really? Yeah. See, I love it because when you see a mullet, it's so Australian now. Like, you usually know they're yeah. Aussie. Like when I was over in uh, Europe, as soon as I saw a mullet, I listened to him talk, boom, yeah. Aussie straight away. Yeah, yeah. So 
look, I, I'm I'm around it. I think I think anyone that's like you know you have a career and you go back and you've we've all had some shit cuts. Oh, like you know back I think earlier I had like the yeah, I actually had a little bit of a mullet, but you know the David Beckham sort of mohawk mullet well, kind of like the yeah. Beckham. yeah yeah um, yeah. And then obviously the the Bieber long hair slash Carol Brady. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean I had some bad ones, but yeah. um, I mean. It's a rite of passage, right? It really is. If, yeah. Are you a rugby league or a rugby union player if you haven't had a shit haircut? Yeah. I don't think you are. Yeah, I don't think so. Actually, when I was a real young fella playing, doing little athletics out at Warringah, I remember I've got a photo doing long jump and I had basically, I don't know who did it, but basically just shaved right across here. So I had a proper flowing mullet, but I had also a, a frolic, like just no way. parting at the front as well. Holy yeah. shit. I don't know, if, like, just like that. Just that is there. fucking right up. Frolic mullet, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, it was bad. Um, so you decide to go to Toulon. Uh, yep. And also you, you have quite a bit of success there. Mm. Um, several European and French crowns. What, what was the, the, the time over there like? Mate, it was honestly, it was unbelievable. Like I went over there into a team that had won the European Championship just before I got there. You know, you've got players, Carl Heyman, um, Chris Marceau, Bucky's Bolter, Ali Williams, um, Juan, Juan Fernandez Lobe, like Johnny Wilkinson was our captain. Um, Johnny. Yeah, like, you know, Gitz was there at 12. Never forgive him for that heartbreak in no, I know. 2003, was it? Yeah, 2003. Well, I, I've given him an atomic wedgie, so I feel like <laughs> I've got like a little bit back. Um, but, you know, like being able to then partner up with, with Brian O'Banner on the wings, having mm. faced him so many times. Yeah. Um, at Super Rugby as well as International Rugby, Lee Halfpenny, Dylan Armitage, all these guys. Like we just had, honestly, we just had like our, our owner kind of use it as like a real life dream team kind of set up, like yeah. where you're putting your team together, like super coach, whatever. Yeah. And we had a coach, Bernard Laporte, who's he's in, he's, he's in a bit of strife at the moment with um, fraud and tax evasion oh, and all sorts of stuff. He's like the vice president of World Rugby now and I think he's, um, he's in a bit of strife. But um, <laughs> anyway, he was our coach who just kind of came down and he's a bit more of a motivator, but not really, you know, like we didn't have to, tr we didn't have to do any contact in any session. What? He's like, there's enough opportunity in the games we play to get injured. So I'm not going to put you in that now. I'm like, sweet. And you know, you got Juan Smith and you know, those guys I just mentioned, I'm like, we get to a game anyway. And mm -hmm. I, I got, I was in a position where I'm like, I don't want these guys to think that I'm a pussy or I don't deserve to be out in the same field as these guys because I've been yeah. playing against them for so long. Mm. I want them to think that I'm worthy of being out there, right? So that was sort of like my motivation. Mm. And so like we didn't necessarily have to have those things to kind of to, to switch us on or to motivate yeah. us. Like there was enough motivation in that team. And, you know, when you look around in that huddle and it's like, like it was a <laughs> weapon team, mate. Yeah. like it was ridiculous. And we won three European titles on the trot. We won the double one year where we won the Heineken Cup in at Millennium Stadium in Wales. Mm. The very next weekend, we won the top 14 championship in Paris. Oh, really? And like that week, like, like we, we trained once oh, and that man. wasn't even sober. Like we were like, oh, my like God. mate, it was ridiculous. It was yeah. like the Barbarians team, right? Yeah. Um, and just to win that double and then to come back home on a, like basically flew in, got on a boat around into the port, mm. 120,000 people on the shoreline. No just way. like, mate, it was like incredible. Like, Is this the best period of your Career yeah. enjoyment wise, yeah. yeah, because also I could, I could go home from training, I couldn't speak the language, so I didn't watch French TV, I didn't read the papers, I didn't know what they were saying about me yeah, or well, about us. Like I yeah. was just like, footies. Like when I turn up, I do it, yeah, and I do it, I do it hard, and I do it well, yeah. But when I go home, like I'm, I'm on that rosé. No I've got way. like the, the, the baguette into the the, the roasted cat. Um, 
you know, camembert cheese and like I was like I was I was enjoying it, you know, yeah. but but also doing what what I needed to do. Um yeah. because of that mutual respect for my teammates as well. I didn't mm. want to be the one that kind of got there and mm. and uh and took the piss and 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 didn't perform. What was your most uh memorable game from when you were over in Toulon, do you reckon? Over in France. Um I think selfishly probably the Heineken Cup final yep. against Clermont at Twickenham. Um was our third one. And I, like I scored it basically because I, I scored a try that kind of put us out, like, you know, basically won it for us. But yep. it kind of, the reason I choose that, whilst it's probably somewhat arrogant sounding, is because that was also the time that I walked into the sheds after that try and Michael Checker gave me a call and said, you're coming home to play in the World Cup. Oh, wow. So, like, you know, that was at Twickenham, obviously, where the World Cup was going to be that year. Mm. He, I already knew that Gitz was being speaking to Czech for ages. And so, like, I, there was a long period of time I'm like, oh, did, did he say anything about me or not? Because he was basically changing the law, right? Yeah. Changing the laws, like we just spoke about before, if you play overseas, you can't get picked. They change the laws so if you've played 60 games um, or seven years of service, whatever, then you, you're eligible. And so I knew that he was speaking to Gitz, but he no mention of me. Yeah. And... Um, and then I got in from the sheds after that game and I had a missed call and a, a voicemail from Czech saying, mate, give me a buzz. I was straight into like a quiet room and then I uh, gave him a call and he said, you, you're coming back. It wasn't a guarantee that I was at the World Cup, yeah. but I was coming back for the rugby championship to then, you know, prove myself that I, I'm playing well enough. And yeah. so I think the significance, obviously, of the try, the, the winning of the championship, but for me to be able to come home and, you know, because like, like I said, the, my last two World Cups weren't, you know, bowed out at quarterfinals, yeah. went home injured after the pool stages. Like, I didn't have the greatest run. Um, whilst I scored some tries, that was, like, pretty much all I did at them, right? Yeah. Um, like, I didn't achieve anything. Mm. Um, so to come home and, and to go to another one was was pretty special. Mm. Um, and, like, because you would have been, what, 28, 29, maybe even close to 30? When was that? When you got called back into the school. Uh, when yeah, 30, 31, maybe. Did you think maybe that you, even though you're playing good footy, that because of your age, you might have been past it or no, not really? Um, no, I mean, I just thought, like, honestly, Gitz and I, we, we got in a, we, we got in a, like, we got picked up, a driver picked us up from Toulon to Nice. We had a couple of bottles of champagne in the car. Nice, um, place. Yeah, and we just, we just, honestly, we made a pact. We're like, okay, we're doing this together. And mm. if one of us quit we're quitting on behalf of the other. So oh, like okay. have that have that in your head when you're about to tap out. Yeah. That we're we're doing it together. And yep. uh because you know there were people in the press, there were coaches that were involved at the time saying that they don't believe that we should be picked. Mm. So we knew that there was going to be some fractions and some people there some tensions that people didn't back us coming back. Mm. And you know maybe rightfully so, who knows, but because I mean, we didn't go over there with the expectation of getting picked. Like yeah. they changed the rules, of course we're going to sit there and say yes to the option. Yeah. Right? Um but yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a tricky one. Like, gets, I remember Gitz saying, mate, where do we sit on the bus? I said, in our fucking seats. <laughs> He's like, yeah, but there's other people. I was like, no, mate, they're our seats. Like, I'm, I'm, one, back from the, I'm one from the back on the right. You're opposite me on the left. And he's like, oh, can you, can you save it? I said, mate, <laughs> like, you can get your seat. And it, yeah. of course, like, you know, like, come back and he'd take your seat and whatever. But yeah. it wasn't so much about the arrogance thing. I just was like, the moment we sit there and say, like, project that we are unsure or we don't have confidence in ourselves and being in that situation, yeah. like it, it, it becomes obvious to everyone. I was yeah. like, we've got to just go in there mm. and and back ourselves yeah. and believe that we should be there. Yeah, absolutely. So what was that, that World Cup like for you? Mate, that was, it was good. Like I, 
it was tough to begin with. I was um, we we're going over to a pre World Cup camp at Notre Dame University, mm. um, playing Chicago in a pre game a pre World Cup um, warm up game, and Michael Checker pulled me aside and said, "Mate, so um, you're not going to play in Chicago. Uh, you're in Fat Club." Oh, I was no. I was I was carrying a bit of extra extra baguette and, and cheese. Um, <laughs> And, you know, like there's, there's nothing worse than obviously being told you're going to miss out on a game, but to miss out on a game because you're fat <laughs> uh, is always a bit of a, a, a bruise to the ego. Yeah, um, especially as a back. Yeah. And I, the only other person in the, in the fat squad was Will Skelton, who was 156 yeah, kilos. Yeah, right? winger. Yeah. And, um, and so, like, there were times through that Notre Dame camp where we'd train hard and whatever, and then there'd be a piece of, like, sort of knowledge and understanding where the players would go in and learn a bit of detail. Yeah. And Will and I would go over and they'd put harnesses on us and like they just like we're working out like crawling up the field and just you know just getting pumped like yeah and at the time again I was filthy but you know like it obviously it, it, it I stripped the weight off and started the World Cup on the bench no sorry out of the match day squad and then um I think Rob Horn got injured against Fiji maybe or England or whichever it was um mm. kind of gave me a chance to get a start and then I I just held down my spot after that. Um, mm. Went all the way through. Like we weren't really that well fancied um, yeah. going into this World Cup, and we had our last five games all at Twickenham. Oh, so we really? played Fiji, then Uruguay, then we had England, Wales, quarterfinal, semi, and final all at Twickenham. Oh, wow! Um, and it just became familiar for us. Like even like you used to flip for the the home change room, mm. and because those first two games we had the the away change room. We end up just forfeiting the, the toss and just always wanting the away because it was it was familiar to us. Yeah, okay. Otherwise, you're going in on game day and there's like unfamiliar surroundings. You don't yeah. know where the tape is. You don't know where the scissors are. You don't know like yeah. all those little things that can just like just can, can just be enough to throw you. Mm. We just sort of felt like it. We're at home for those five games. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we went all the way through to the, the World Cup final and mate, I yeah, I I wouldn't be alone in saying this that we went to bed the night before just thinking we're gonna be fucking world champions tomorrow. Really? Yeah. Except wow. um, there was 23 All Blacks that said it as well. <laughs> and as history shows, they were telling the truth, we weren't. <laughs> and, and, I mean, what do you remember from running? You, you're running out in a World yeah. Cup final, bro. Yeah, I know. Like, it was, that was, like, pretty surreal, you know? Like, this is, like, it's one thing to be there, but, like, we also knew, like, we're fucking not here just to make up the numbers. Like, mm. we were there to, like, you know, to achieve what it was. But, yeah. Yeah, it's probably more so afterwards where you're like, you know, you're upset and you're you're filthy and you know, it's so many different emotions, but then you're like you know, family there, all that sort of stuff, and you're like still pretty epic. Um yeah. once you can kind of remove the, the, the disappointment from it, like it was it was an achievement, but that's the weird thing, right? Like some people say, What's your your best memory? And it's like it's the best, but it's also the worst. Yeah, yeah. Like absolutely. we're getting to a World Cup finals is like fucking huge, right? Yeah. But it's also like, it's pretty shit. Like I've yeah. not gone back and watched it. Wow, really? I had a few people send some clips and whatever. I think <laughs> I, I dropped a ball when we were chasing the game at the end and Burden Barrett ran 100 to score. Oh, um, ouch. A lot of people find humor in sending me that clip a fair bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It, like we, we lost Gitz early. Gitz went off with the HIA. Yeah. Um, and he was pretty crucial to us at that point. Yeah. Kane Douglas went off early as well. He did his ACL. Um, so we're up against it. Early in the second half, I, I got taken off. I had a head clash with Nehemil Nascutter. Um, mm. They took me off and then they, I had to take my boots off. 
sit me down and give me five words and I was always like pretty understanding of like you know like red truck apple fire whatever and I, I'd make up a, like a, a sentence like the red truck was on fire the red truck carrying apples was on fire you know whatever it might yeah. be right so yeah. I could remember them and then they do like some questions about who you're playing where you are what day and that sort of stuff and then they they made me it's like a sobriety test where you had like a strapping tape um you know straight out in the line on the yeah. floor and I had to walk out heel and toe turn around and walk back heel and toe and they said sorry mate you can't go back on I was like why is that and they said oh you didn't do it quick enough I said well what do you mean I said well you had to do it under 17 seconds I said mate you didn't you yeah, didn't no tell me anything me. about yeah. time I said that's like that's a critical piece of information yeah I said like you've got to give me a chance to do it underneath like under that time yeah like that's like the, the most critical other than like deviating off the line that's yeah. the most piece of critical piece of information and so they gave me another chance and of course like if I'm at a point where I'm able to argue this this argument right? like I'm pretty good yeah anyway I was able to do it quick enough and they asked me the the, the five words and i told them my story and then yeah. put my boots back on and went back out. But um, yeah, so there was, there was plenty happening, um, you know, and then Dan Carter kicking the last conversion with his opposite foot. Um, <laughs> like I'm mates with DC now and um, oh, even then, but like now more so. And he was like, he, I think um, Liam Messam dared him to do it through the week. And no way. it sort of just was one opportunity, like, you know, yeah. he just dropped gold with his opposite foot. Oh. And like, in a World Cup final, you're taking the piss. I think it might've actually, it may have been his final conversion of his test career, actually. Oh, no mm. way. Um, so good on him. Yeah, fucking fair, fair play <laughs> just, to him. Just another time he beat us. <laughs> oh, um, man. He beat us up in Toulon as well uh, for Racing. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Can he's, play. He's all right. <laughs> he goes um, all right. Yeah, but even Sonny, you know, he just won the, the, gold, the, the gold medal that we wanted to win and he gave it to someone in the crowd. You're like, Jesus, <laughs> can, these, can these blokes rub any more salt in the wound? But uh, obviously it was a nice gesture. But, um, yeah, yeah. No, it was just, yeah. Look, it's, it's one of those things I think growing back, I'm proud of it, but would I have liked it to go on better? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And then retirement. How, when did you make, like, it's happening? Mate, this is, like, I was sitting in a team room in a team meeting for Toulon and I just thought, Fuck, I would rather be anywhere than where I am right now. Wow. Like I, I just was done. Mm. And I still had three months left of that, that contract. I was renegotiating for Toulon and perhaps even in Japan. And I walked out of that meeting and I said to Gitz, I said, mate, I'm done. He goes, no, 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 we've got, we've got gym. I was like, no, no, like I'm done with footy. And he's like, wow. what do you mean? And I just went, mate, like I've had enough. Like I've, I've got this, um, this feeling and I'm going to back it. I'm not going to speak to any of my, um, my family because... I don't want to give them the opportunity to kind of talk me out of it. Yeah, Didn't yeah. speak to my agent. So I just backed myself and the, and the feeling that I had. I'll, um, and I just walked out and just wrote, um, I just wrote this tweet. Oh. So it's my turn to call time on my, rug, my rugby career. I've been very lucky to have had the experiences I've had in our great game. Thank you. That was it. No my way. Done. Yeah. That's how, like, that's what I did. And I just thought if I, if I allow myself to talk to others, yeah. Then they'll talk me out of the feeling I've just done and I'll do it for the wrong reasons. I'll go back to doing it for money. Yeah. And I think your most, your lasting memory is your most recent, right? Mm. And if my most recent are just hating what I'm doing, yeah. but just trying to find joy and going to the ATM, like mm. I'll end up hating a game that gave me so much. So I mm. just was like, nah, I've backed it. And yep. I, um, I had obviously my phone then blew up. Um, with agents and parents and everyone going, what are you doing? Was your agent like, what? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I guess he was like, once I told him, he was like, Drew, I get it. Yeah, like, yeah. He's like, good on you. Like, good on you for backing yourself like that, right? Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so I went into retirement. No real plan of what I was going to do. Wasn't really that well set up financially. Wasn't real 
real good on those sides of things. Um, and yeah, I just I, didn't, I had a little like a bit of a relationship with Fox Sports at the time. Mm. Um, got a bit of a play-by-play deal with them for the first year. Um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise it was just like again back myself to make something of it. Yeah, wow. To go out and, and tweet, it's like the finality of that. The, yeah. The, 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 I mean, it's such a big thing to do, but it's clearly the right decision. Yeah, you know? I mean, look, I think the first couple of years when you feel like maybe physically you could still go out there and compete, mm. there's like the ego part of you thinking, I could do that. Yeah. Or I could still, be, I could still make this team, whatever. Yeah. But it's pure ego, right? Yeah. Like you're just like, I mean, I say I could do that. And if I had six weeks off, I have like I'm shit when I come back preseason. Let alone two two years off, right? Yeah. There's no way I could do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and nor am I committed enough to get myself in a condition to do that. Yeah. So, you know, I think once I kind of got past that point, then I'm like, now I actually can go there and, and watch footy and be happy for the guys and what they're achieving, yeah. and 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 be happy that I'm not in that situation anymore. Mm. Of course, I miss it, the the environment, the atmosphere, yeah. the opportunities that um, you know to to go out there and express myself but mm. i don't wish that i was out there yeah it's uh the environment is usually what you miss the yeah. most not the feeling you know bashed to death every sunday yeah. morning or saturday morning or whatever it's it's the the crew that you're with every day yeah. you know all the I mean, it's it's unique it's it's almost like part of my well some of my favorite parts of playing rugby was, was at school mm. because the reason I say that is because you go through everything together, right? Mm. From 13 to 17 or 18, whenever you finish school, you know, you go through puberty, you go through your first kiss, your yeah. first girlfriend, your first like this first and that. Fight, yeah, first, first fight, you got, you know, you're failing school or you're passing. Like yeah. you're going through all these formative years, right? And then you go and you train in the afternoon and then you go out there and you have a game of footy on the weekend together. Like, but you're like, you're mates, like yeah. you've been through shit, right? Yeah. And then, then the touring side of things, is the closest to that for me mm. you know like when you're actually on long tours five weeks whatever in europe and U- uk mm. you're living in each other's pockets you're in you know on buses you're going yeah. everywhere together yeah there might be still fractions where you go off and like do your little um mini t- mini dinners or whatever it might be but for the large part you're going through all this again together yeah. you're going through adversities you're going through shit media you're going through losses you're going through but you're also going through the ups and you're celebrating things and yeah. players are getting married and people are you know getting engaged and there's like milestones that you're celebrating that yeah that you do in a way that's unique to professional sport because you're just in each other's pockets so mm. much more and like not only do you get that camaraderie but when you do achieve you're achieving great things yeah together so you get camaraderie mm. plus accomplishing things it's like yeah. the perfect recipe and, and also accomplishing something that like yeah you know, we're one of the lucky ones right yeah, like sure where we it, it look it's it's a blessing and a curse mm. going into the retirement stuff because we get to live out a childhood dream yeah but by the 33 like you've achieved it Mm. now what's your next dream yeah like people would say to me this is a question i'd always avoid drew what are you passionate about or what are you going to do next yeah and i'm like well i'm passionate about what i've just fucking finished yeah. Sport, like, and, it. and it was unfair because i'd i'd try and think about a different profession or industry and i'm like it, it would pale in comparison mm. so then i'd feel really dejected like oh i don't know what i'm going to do and i'd feel overwhelmed and yeah it got to a point where i almost had to start to meet people in different industries and start to eliminate and yeah. narrow the like the options down yeah because when it was so broad and you could just do whatever mm. like people were like well why do you do this why don't you do that like it was just like that was quite daunting yeah and i'd, I'd honestly it got to a point where i'd start to avoid the question yeah well, you know, i'd go out and people would be like oh 
And I'd be like, just sort of snake out of the conversation because I could feel it was coming. Yeah. Because I also didn't have anything at that point. Yeah. It's so tough because you're constantly comparing to the highs of rugby league or rugby union yeah. or whatever sport yeah. you've got. And you're going like, what other job could I ever feel like yeah. that again? You know? It's, and, uh, and I think with my transition, right, like what I was missing my first year is different to what I'm now missing in five years. Yeah. So like first year I was missing the application of skill, the repetition of skill, because, you know, training, you're just always trying to execute. You're just that pursuit of the perfect pass that, you know, it's just like, it, it's unattainable, but yeah. it's the pursuit of it, right? Yeah. And the other bit was the adrenaline because, you know, you walk, you run out on a field yeah. and you just get that buzz. Like it's, it's hard to replace. And mm. we've seen so many times with athletes of all walks trying to replace it in unsavory ways, whether yeah. it's drugs, alcohol, drinking, like, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. To try and get that, that high. And yeah. And I, I started to feel like, shit, I need something like that. Mm. And rather than chasing in unsavory ways, like I just thought, I'm going to learn how to fly a helicopter. Yeah. Because I'm shit scared of heights, so I get the adrenaline. Yeah. But the skill application, because you've got like a joystick, you've got a handbrake thing here, and you've got two feet pedals as well. Like yeah. The, 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 the brain function and the, and the application skill in that like was, like was exactly what I needed, right? But wow. But it was also really expensive. Yeah, wow. <laughs> and also my disposable income started to dry up. Um, <laughs> and like I said before, financially, I was never great. But, and then the, the bushfires happened and COVID and all the rest of it. Yeah. So I've got 25 hours up my book, but you no need 50 way. to get a license. Um, oh, how good. But I, I also got to the point where engine failure was next. And I'm like, oh, I don't, don't know if I need to, need to worry about this. <laughs> but that's what I needed in my, in my first 12 to 18 months of retirement. Yeah. Whereas now it's a bit more like, and why I've started the, um, the commercial real estate stuff, it's more like I need routine. Yeah. I need to chase outcomes, KPIs, um, get the wins, learn from the losses, that type of thing. So, mm. And I'm sure, I don't know, five, 10 years time, there'll be other things that I'm missing. Um, yeah. But I think what I'm trying to do is stay aware of what those things are. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I um, ask all the boys this, favorite rapper of all time? Favorite rapper? Well, actually, I. I had to get separated from a fight with Buster Rhymes. What? Yeah. How the how, yeah? Walk actually, us through how you got. Yeah. So I 2018, I um, <laughs> I signed up to do the New York Marathon. Yeah. And um, anyway, not a not a runner, not a long distance runner by any means. Um, got distracted by the bright lights in New York for the first or for the three nights before it. Yeah. Off a couple of hours, ran the, the marathon, was cooked on that Sunday night, but on the Monday went out. Uh, to celebrate me finishing it and, and staying alive. Um, went to a nightclub, actually ran into a couple of leaguey boys, uh, Angus Crichton, good fellow, and oh, Dylan Napper. No way. Um, yeah. Uh, and um, so, and I was there with a mate of mine from school. And, oh, sorry, not from school, from, from outside of footy, Pete Playford. And, um, and anyway, so we're there and we're having, having a big night, carrying on as if I'd won the marathon, you know, <laughs> buying all the bottles and all that. Yeah. And uh, anyway, at this point, Angus and, and Dylan had left. I could have really used them, but um, <laughs> I went to go and pay uh, the bill at 5,000 US or something. Oh, like, stung me, right? Yeah. Like, kills me. Oh my but it's like God. five, six in the morning. Um, I'm there in like this little like blue sweater with like clear lens glasses looking like the Milky Bar kid, right? <laughs> and then Buster Rhymes walks past and I just like went, oh, Buster. And I like tapped his shoulder and he goes, don't fucking touch me, bro. <laughs> and I went... Oh mate, like I'm just like I'm a, I'm a fan. He's yeah, like, fuck yeah. you. And I went, what? Oh listen, mate. Like, yeah, I'm just saying I'm a fan. He goes, and then he goes, fuck you, white ass bitch. And I went, <laughs> oh my. I just God. went, listen, mate. You don't fucking speak to people like that. I was like, yeah. and he's like, kind of summoned me outside. I was like, 
and I've never been in a fight in my life. Like, yeah. I've never stood there and traded with anyone. Yeah, okay. But I'm like, I'm going to trade with Buster Ryan, yeah, especially 100%. at five, six in the morning. Yeah. After that kind of bill, I'm like, I'm trading with this guy. <laughs> um, and I'm happy to also, well, happy enough, at least in the theory of it, to get whacked. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's also like, not a bad story, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyway, so we go outside and there's all those, like, garbage bags on the side of the road um, ready to be, for, to be picked up through the morning. <laughs> and he had, like, three Escalades waiting for him and all these boys or whatever to be picked yeah. up and i started um i, I started lipping up because you know i'm pretty good at lipping up <laughs> and um anyway he's sort of going at me but a couple of his guys are like ushering him to get in the car and then i just went mate fucking all you've done is pimp a few people's rides but that's exhibit i, got, I mixed him up <laughs> oh i know God. i know i got him mixed up <laughs> yeah. and so he just went and just like came charging for me and so like, a couple of these guys were holding him and then he's grabbed me and I've grabbed him and then we're like tripping over the garbage bags <laughs> out in front of this nightclub. My mate's behind me. My mate also got a guy that was, um, you know, like less fortunate in terms of accommodation yeah. um, to back us up, you know, for a bit of cash. He was like, I'll fight Buster Arms for 300. <laughs> so there was three of us there and then the security jumped in and it was just a melee. Like there was no like punches thrown yeah, necessarily, yeah. but and yeah, like a bit, bit of a stretch sweater and, and yeah. whatever. And, uh, and then he got sort of like, quickly put into his cars and, and left. And then I was like, you know, like, we're like, fuck. Um, and then the security just said, look, we saw what happened. Like, yeah, sure, he's being a dick, but you know, it only takes someone to like try and move up in the crew and like pull something out. I'm yeah, like, you're in America. Yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, you're not thinking that when yeah, you're nah. heavily inebriated and dehydrated <laughs> oh from, a new, uh, from a marathon. So anyway, back to your question, my favorite rapper, probably Buster Ross. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's how good. <laughs> I mean, Buster, he'll definitely be watching this podcast. <laughs> yeah, so. absolutely. Mate. I mean, I watched him the other night on the Grammys and, um, yeah, was, he's, he goes all right. If he had a yelled, I'll break your neck, yeah. that would have been all time. Yeah, I was like, well, if you bust a right. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Favourite movie of all time? Oh, tough. Um, I think, like, comedy, I'll go Step Brothers. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's probably coming. To, that's the one coming to mind the at the brothers, moment. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's a classic. Yeah, like, and it's just like you can watch it. Yeah, any amount of times. Hundred yeah. percent. Sometimes the jokes get funnier the more you yeah, watch yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Mate, thank you so much for coming on. Mate, what no an worries. incredible career. Really appreciate it, bro. No, thanks very much, and mate, keep doing what you're doing. It's amazing. Well, thank you. Done.